Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, August 7th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. What's up? Mr. Bob Ryer. Yo, yo, yo. And Miss Stephanie (laughs) Cook. Hey! All right, so we are back for another podcast. Um... This week, unlike most weeks after we review the movie, we had no real big reaction and hatred flown our way. Um, so that was nice. Uh, um, well, that's because we didn't do that joke. No, we didn't. That's right. That's true. So, so we wouldn't even do it now. We had, yeah, no, yeah. I had an idea for a, a bad joke. It was funny. Um, so the other night, uh, most a lot of you out there know uh, we started a new video show called Brood and Boarded. Um, which is basically drinking beer and boarding my books and had a bunch of people join in. Travis McCollum, obviously, a longtime contributor to the site, was there. Uh, Steve was was on the video call. Indeed. As well as some longtime listeners. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, some people stayed the whole time. Some people showed up and dropped out. Uh, some people just listened, but it, we've gotten a really nice reaction to it. Um, and right near the end of the show, someone brought up, man of steel um and uh uh you know our friend jeff who hosts the man cave podcast was listening along with with the show and he was tweeting uh at us every time somebody talked about something um and he wrote in like all caps you're having a nice conversation this guy has to bring a man of steel (laughs) that's great (laughs) it was pretty funny and he said he was watching the stream and seeing my eyes look up at the twitter feed pop up and seeing me laugh as i was looking at (laughs) looking at the tweets so um, that was a lot of fun. We're definitely going to do uh, more of those uh, really kind of informal discussions and just hang out. It's cool because we got to talk about some stuff more in depth than we get to talk about on here. We get, we had a long discussion about the X-Men books and stuff, and that was a, a lot of fun. You know, it, it was it being free form. It was cool. And people show up with questions. Yeah. You know, people show up, oh. ask a couple questions and then and then pieced out. It, it, it was really, really nice. Um, and then uh, more video content. Uh, I started a morning show called Comics and Coffee, and we kind of had our, our test episode uh, this week. Uh, Amara Wood co-hosted it with me, um, and we talked about a bunch of stuff. We talked about Doctor Who, we talked about Captain Marvel, we talked you know, we talked about some, some other stuff as well, and um, that's going to be definitely a regular uh, feature. Uh, I'm, I'm aiming to do it about three times a week, and just about half an hour in the mornings, usually live around 9, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Um, it's before I go to work, so I do it, and then I just go to work, and uh, Hopefully that that catches on, and if that catches on, and we keep doing it, I'll definitely start an iTunes feed for it, so people can download it on their on their iPods and and stuff like that. Um, and and Mara will be the, generally the co-host on it. Uh, 
uh, Joey Bracino and uh, Sean Lamont will also kind of be circling in. You know, it's a, a big commitment for for people for three times a week to do something like that. So I want to give them the opportunity and myself the opportunity to be able to take a day or so off if, mm-hmm. if they need to. So very well in the future, you might see a show without me even on it, which will be awesome because those guys are uh, those guys are great, and I want to get more of the people who contribute to the site, uh, you know, some voice. Uh, on the site so i want to thank mara you know very very much for for helping out and agreeing to join me i basically sunday night got the idea okay i want to do this and i like most things in my life i was like well i want to do this i want to do it right away i want to do it tomorrow and i sent an email to a bunch of people and mara responded yeah let's do it tomorrow so it, that was great um so yeah look for that if you go on the site right now under columns you'll see both a, a section for uh, brewed and boarded and for uh comics and coffee so check those out and let us know uh what you think um these the shows will continue to develop we have ideas for other shows t- coming v- probably very soon uh so we're looking to do more video content and more stuff like that so yeah so that stuff that stuff's coming and if you guys can please go to uh, our youtube channel uh it's youtube.com backslash uh talking comics podcast and subscribe because you know we youtube is I'm just learning how to use kind of this this deeper end of YouTube now, and and there's a lot of kind of benefits to having more subscribers and more views. You get more privileges, so mm. um, we can bring you better content if you guys can go ahead and subscribe there. So thank you guys very much for doing that. Um, Stephanie, you were at Boston Comic Con this weekend. I was. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it got canceled in April, so this was uh, the rescheduled show. Um, a lot of fantastic guests were added um, I mean the show was great before but they just piled on the like crazy guests for this time and you know I've been going to shows for a while now and I've been working uh, doing my job for about a year and a half and doing a lot of shows for that and I don't think I've ever had like a weekend where I've just been like geeking out like constantly <laughs> nonstop. It was seriously like my heart was like exploding. Like I'm still like, oh my god. <laughs> like seriously. Um so not a joke. A, not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. <laughs> I'm not lying. Why would I do that? <laughs> Anyways, so it was only a two-day show, which I find is really rare in comics as far as comic conventions go these days. Um so it was kind of weird. I felt like there should be more, but at the same time it was so you know, jam-packed that it didn't really matter. Um, on the Saturday, I wore a Hawkeye dress that my friend made, um, Sucker's Apparel. And I got, like, people took photos of me and stuff, and it was weird. And I was like, wow, is this what it's like to cosplay? <laughs> it had an arrow pointing to my bum, though, so, like, people made fun of me a little bit. Barry Kitson. <laughs> Anyways, so I ran into, like, they had this um, green room where you could get lunch and stuff if you're one of the guests. So I wound up like going up there a lot to get food for me and for like other people at my table area. And like the first day I was there, I ran into Lori Holden from The Walking Dead who plays Andrea mm-hmm. and Kristen Bauer who plays Pam on True Blood. And like there's only like three tables in the lunchroom. So it's like pretty tiny. And so I was like eating lunch with them and like listening to their conversations and having these little things where I'm like, I know, right? Oh my God, boys. <laughs> and like to myself without being like weird. You know, best Marigold Hotel? Yeah, I want to see that too. Like, I'm creepy, I guess. <laughs> it was awesome, though. <laughs> and um, I got to meet Joe Hill and Gabriela Rodriguez. They signed um, some lock and key stuff for me. I got a photo with them. And the 
be some details on, you know, something from that specifically later. <laughs> um, let's see what else happened. <sighs> I'm like, I'm like seriously like overwhelmed trying to explain my weekend. It was like so exciting. Um, got a chat with Yale Stewart, who was a past guest oh. on our show. Um, I got lock and key keys from Skeleton Key Crew. Um, if you aren't familiar, they make the replica skeleton keys from Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and I, think are... we, I think we all figured, Stephanie. <laughs> you know what, Bobby? This is my story time. <laughs> None of your sarcasm, please. I'm going to turn this bus around <laughs> yeah. any second. Yeah, exactly. Um, I got to meet some Talking Comics fans. I met um, Josh and I met, I believe, Chris. I I'm 99% sure that was what you said your name was. But I had a lovely, lovely conversation with both of them. And um, it was just really great to chat with them and, you know, just Nietzsche fans that listen to our show and really enjoy it. The, the way, the, sometimes the way that you put intonation on certain words is unlike any person I've ever met in my entire life. Broken. <laughs> Stephanie's words would be bolded like a comic book. Yeah, meet fans. <laughs> I know it was so exciting though. <laughs> and then, I mean, so you know, I got to hang out with like uh, Brian Azzarello for a little bit. Got a chat with him and Scott Snyder and Tony Daniels, and they were so great. And then like on Sunday, that was only Saturday. I all and I'll sum up Sunday, so it's not like ten more minutes, but. I ran into like Lori Holden again, and she um, she ran in the, the other room. way, probably. Yeah, pardon? She ran the other way at that. Oh, point. she was so sweet. Okay. I talked to her. I worked up the nerve to talk to her, um, and she totally was like, "Aren't you sweet? You're so nice, lol." And she let me like get a photo with her, and that was lovely and delightful. Yeah, she doesn't know the things you say about her on the podcast, apparently. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> Be quiet, Bobby. Anyways. So, you know, I have a lock and key tattoo. I got to talk to Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez again. I showed them my tattoo, and they were like, wow, that's so cool. I love it. You know, just like that. They said it just like that. Yeah. They said it just and like then, you would say it. You know what? <laughs> and I got a chat with Steve Niles, who's the nicest. Mm-hmm. And when I was at the bar, and I was most definitely drunk, so, you know, the, the things that I said are questionable at best. Um, I ran into Aiden Turner from Being Human and The Hobbit, and he's going to be in City of Bones. Mm-hmm. And I geeked out for a little bit, but he was like the nicest too. And I was like, ah, 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 and talking to him for like a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a photo with him and just like hung out and was like chatting. And, um, you know, my friend Barry, who I was with, apparently, I guess maybe I had called him a bad word. Apparently. <laughs> I don't recall this because I was, you know, drunk. But he left for a moment and came back, and all of a sudden, Aiden Turner and Dino Gorman, who plays, uh, they both play Philly and Killy in The Hobbit, were, like, writing on napkins, and they handed me these napkins, and, like, um, Aiden Turner, like, wrote, like, nice to meet you, blah, 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 nobody's an asshole here, lots of love, Aiden Turner. (laughs) And then, like, Dean, like, writes out, lots of love, uh no assholes here and then drew me like a little like dwarf picture <laughs> and i was like what did you tell them <laughs> why did why why did they both reference assholes what's happening but hmm. i don't really care and i was too drunk to care so i now have these random napkin autographs <laughs> so 
that's my stories. It was so amazing. La 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 stuff. Awesome. <laughs> Somewhere there is a video of this bar encounter, and we'll find out why they were using that word. Um, yeah, it's yeah. entirely possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I rolled around into money. Okay. <laughs> no, really, that happened. I, no, I believe you. But why? We've seen the photographs. Those things don't shock me when you say things like that, Stephanie. <laughs> Bill and I raised um, over $500 for the Here initiative on the weekend. Oh, great. He doesn't charge for autographs or anything, but he does like accept donations. And the Hero Initiative is a great charity, and we've raised all this money. And before I went and counted it all for the Hero Initiative, and I promise I didn't embezzle any, you know, I had to, like, roll around in it for a little bit. Because, like, when are you ever going to have that much money just lying around? Never. Because I'm poor. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. Wait, how much, how much did you say it was? Uh, we raised five, over $500. Oh, yeah. oh, when are we ever going to see $500? <laughs> in cash. How can you roll in around? Cash. Yeah. It well, was all ones. It was five hundred dollar bills. Ones and fives and shit. Yeah, there must oh, have been okay. ones. Yeah. There were lots of ones. There were lots of ones. I, I saw five, the photograph. Five bills on the bed and rolled around in it. You know what, Bobby? I don't think I like your attitude. Stop ruining my story. All right, sorry. sorry. Thank you. I saw Pacific Rim this week. <gasps> <laughs> attitude. She's back on board now. Yes. Back on board. Wasn't it fantastic? It, it was pretty great. Yeah, oh, I had a really, God. really good time. Uh, uh, seeing it, yeah, it was. Um, it's like the best version of what a disaster movie can be, you mm. know. Because it's it, it's interesting because it has a lot of those tenets that those movies have, you know. It has the, you know, it has the, the contingent of like the really, uh, you know, masculine, you know, tough guys who who say things like, "You got my son in there." Yeah. You watch out for him, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And like, just do head nods, emotional. do it, just Don't do head nods instead of, you know, that. saying anything. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. And make, and grunt. Mm. <laughs> My boy wouldn't say anything, but he's grateful, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and then it has, you know, the classic like comic relief who happen to be the really smart, you know, geeky guys. Um, which is Charlie Day from Always Sunny, and I don't know his real name. Oh, but Owen it's from Burn Torchwood. Gorman. It's Burn Gorman from Torchwood. Yeah, I know his yeah. name. I, I know he's from Torchwood. Burn Gorham. <laughs> yeah, playing a completely different character than he plays in uh, in Torchwood. But uh, you know, as the, the 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 nerdy nerdy guys who are a little bit silly and a little bit crazy, uh, but end up kind of getting to kind of solving the problem. Type, two different, type, end, two different oh. ends of the spectrum of science. Exactly. Hey. Yeah. Well, you're talking about that like super quickly. There's this post on Tumblr. You, have you ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. I've seen a couple episodes, yeah. Okay. Somebody made, um, like I don't watch a lot of It's Always Sunny, but there's um, the episode where What's-His-Face is doing the kittens with middens. Yep. So um, there's now like a big art post where it's like kaiju with middens. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so look for it on Tumblr because like I was like waking up this morning and going through my po- the posts online and I was like, I spit out my water. It's like this is the greatest thing I've seen. Kitten mittens, you'll be smitten. <laughs> Meow. It's, um, it's fantastic. Sorry, carry on. No, sorry. Right. And Charlie Day, who is usually kind of hit or miss for me, um, mm. uh, he he was very good. Uh, he was really silly and manic when he needed to be, but he also had moments, quieter moments, and uh, the level of ridiculousness which he's playing at, along with Ron Perlman who is at a very special level yeah, of campy yeah. in Pacific Rim. Uh, I don't it, know what you're talking about. It works 
works really, really well. Uh, but all of those things are usually very, you know, if you watch Armageddon, you will get the same exact types of characters strewn mm-hmm. throughout it. And even the same exact race against the clock. We have to develop this machinery. You know, the, the person, we, you, got, you, guys, you guys can't do this. And then, of course, they can do it, you know, kind of thing. You know, the, all these things are very standard action movie, very standard these kind of movies, but they're done very, very, very well here. Uh, all the performances are really good. I, um, and the, especially the middle action scene where kind of uh, Charlie Hunnam's character finally like gets back in the game, mm-hmm. uh, to me, is the best action scene in the movie. I just love it. It's uh, dragging the ocean liner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, that whole action scene is ugh. fantastic. Um, you know what's fantastic? The whole movie. <laughs> Uh, I really, really like the movie a lot. Uh, I will say though that I I do feel a little bit uh, like the the kind of cocky pilot guy, you know, the kid. Yeah, he looks a lot like Jeff Johns to me. <laughs> if you look at a picture of Jeff Johns, you look at picture look at that guy. They look yeah, very similar. He kind of looks like a mix of Jeff Johns and Army Hammer. Yeah, that's true. And I'm gonna tell you, it, it, this movie's a boon for short-haired blonde men. Because there's a lot of short-haired blonde men doing a lot of stuff in this that movie. Uh, be the only ones left. Men. Nothing, nothing. I just thought it was interesting. It, it was a little bit weird at the beginning because I was like confusing people when at the very beginning of the movie. But that's you know, did you there. confuse Idris Elba? Yeah, Idris Elba. I was Murray. like, who is this guy? Is this the guy who died at the beginning? <laughs> no. Um, and I really liked. Uh, uh, was it Rico K- 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 yeah. Kikuchi? Is that her name? Suave. No, the girl. Rico Suave. The. Uh, she's, uh, Kikuchi. Kikuchi. Yeah, she's from. Uh, she was in Babel. She's the Bloom Brothers too. Yeah, yeah. The she's Bloom. the demolitions oh. expert. Yeah, she's awesome in it. I I loved her in it as well. Yeah, I had a great time with it. I also saw The Conjuring this week, mm. um, which I, I saw, liked. You liked it? Yeah. Cool. I thought it was a really. I think it's a better movie than it is a horror. Like I don't think it's as scary as people are saying that it is, and obviously that's all subjective. But for me, it did not terrify me. But it was creepy all throughout, and I felt like it was a really well made good movie above being uh, just a, a good horror movie. So I saw Despicable Me too. Oh, how was it? It was okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Uh, Superhero-ish? I, no. Mm-hmm. I really liked the first one. I liked it a lot, actually. And the second one does not have nearly as much for adults as the first one did. It's very much like a Minions cash-in mm-hmm. kind of thing. But uh, you get to see Gru fall in love. And the process of that was rewarding enough to, to make it a fun movie. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I'd wait for a video or Blu-ray or mm-hmm. whatever, watch it with your kids, but uh, gets the the meh to a yay. <laughs> so. oh, girl. oh, and I, after I finished Orange is the New Black, which was awesome, so I, I was in like a Netflix movie, so I started watching House of Cards. I was is, just about to start watching Which that. is also great. Nice. It's like evil West Wing is what it is. Cool. Um, it's very, very Kevin cool. Kevin Spacey? Kevin Spacey, okay. yeah, yeah. If Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright, um, Kate Mara, uh, it's good cast. David Fincher c- helped create it, so it, it's it, it's really really good. How how awesome was the finale for Orange Is the New Black? It's awesome. It's really intense. The end of yeah. that show is very intense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, moving on from talk of TV and movies, um, let's hit a little news before we go to books of the week. Uh, th- this is kind of an interesting tidbit. Um, this is from actually from comics cr- comic crux.com and they have a quote from Glenn Close about being in Guardians of the Galaxy and she just said I just did two independent films this summer and I had an absolute ball with fantastic actors but in August I'm going to go off and do the next generation of Marvel Comics Disney and I get to be the chief police of the galaxy she's like I'm doing that because it will then afford me to go 
do the other kind of movies that I really love, and hopefully I will have a great time on Guardians of the Galaxy. It'll be a new experience for me, but practically speaking, it'll mean that I can do those smaller movies and it will all be okay. Hmm. Interesting. A little bit of a shot. A little bit, but I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think it's just her being honest, you know? She gets to do a big movie so she can get to do the yeah. little movies that she loves doing. And I think that... Th- that's to be commended. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she, she doesn't seem like she has any uh, level of bullshit to her on mm. those yeah. situations, you know? And I also or in don't... general, has anyone ever seen Damages? Like, she's scary. <laughs> uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's cool that, I, you know, that she says something like that. Because it doesn't mean she's, she's also professional. She's not, not going to give her all to, yeah. to the things she's doing. So I think mm-hmm. it's cool that she comes out and just and says it. Um, which is sweet. Um, it's I don't refreshing. Know. It is refreshing. Um, Just keep her away from puppies. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. Uh, Del- 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 oh, oh. <laughs> She's Cruella de Vil. I know she is. I try to make a current reference, and that goes current over in the same like 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 20? It's, is it? It's, it's closer to 20 than any other number we got. Yeah, it's okay. like probably 1996. Yeah. So it's almost 20. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait till later. Wait till I make my it real references. It was last references. Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it was for me. I saw the original in a drive-in. So give me a break. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I saw the original when it was re-released in theaters when they did that. When Disney was still, when home video was still very new and they weren't really releasing them there. I totally just realized my favorite Disney movie, animated movie of all time was released on Blu-ray today and I did not go and pick it up. What oh. is it? The Sword and the Stone. Oh. It's a good favorite. one. It's my favorite. It's a good one. Um, I saw that one in the theater too, sadly. Did you? That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. I love that movie. <laughs> Archimedes 60, is a shit. 62? Yes. Like yeah, okay. Um, so. Anyway. There was a little. I found this on Bleeding Cool, actually. It, it, this is a little bit of a controversy that happened. Um, Ooh, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alice and uh, Bechdel's Fun Home. Uh, it, it, it's a graphic novel. It's being included on a freshman reading list um, at the uh, College of Charleston, located in Charleston, South Carolina, and has assigned it to all its incoming freshmen to read Fun Home by Allison Betchdell, a graphic novel which contains... Um, now, this is from this is from a, a publication called Front Page Mag, whose, whose tagline is, Inside every liberal is a total- totalitarian screaming to get out. Um, this is the thing it says. Mm-hmm. The state-funded College of Charleston, located in Charleston, South Carolina, has assigned all of its incoming freshmen to read Fun Home by Allison Bechdel, a graphic novel which contains pictorial images of lesbian sex, <gasps> commentary on masturbation, <gasps> and accounts of pedophilia. In total, the college has spent $39,000 for the distribution of this book to freshmen and will pay another $13,000 for a speech by the author this fall. Participation in the summer reading program is mandatory. Where um, do I sign up? Yeah, how so can I do- donate some money to this? This is the other part of... Uh, this is the other part of... Uh, um, other part of the story this is a student who posted this on the the campus reform site yet another article filled with false information intended to cause an outcry of some sort i attended this school and no book no book given to freshmen is a mandatory read i received a book my freshman year and did i read it yes was i forced to read it no was it incorporated into my classes we had an optional discussion about it in a few of them but i never had to write a paper on it if anything this book was chosen for a reason and i trust c of c uh, on their decision as should anyone else that trusts them with their education you're here to learn to think for 
Hurrah. <laughs> Lesbians nice, of yeah. masturbation. So, the uh, Garumph. <laughs> Um, there'll be a letter in the times in the morning yeah so stephanie hearing this do you think there should be any even any controversy about this no that's no no (laughs) is that all you got for us yes okay (laughs) um well what would they have them teach mein kampf (laughs) well i I think that's uh the prince those a little bit different sides of the spectrum there bob well that's the idea Uh, Portnoy's complaint, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the thing about this that is weird to me is just that it's a it's a controversy at a college because I feel like once you're in college, the, these kind of weird restrictions and the the, the right of any group, um, whatever little right they have when you're in when you're younger, to come out and say something can't be on a reading list and people shouldn't be reading this. I think is um, I think just seems uh, ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's w- once you're in college, th- this is the point of college to see other things and experience other things and know know you know situations that aren't the situation you grew up in. That's kind of the point of going to college. Uh, so, and I don't know wh- what how you could tell an 18 or 19 year old that they can't read something. I think that's a, a bizarre. Thing to do when once somebody isn't you know uh, a minor anymore how are you going to tell them what they can and cannot read now i'm assuming this is a public college i'm going to look that up actually right okay. now i didn't even think of that until we were talking about it and then i, I want to look it up but let's see now a, a private institution let's say we're, we're talking a seminary school or a mm-hmm. you know uh, something on that nature if they want to say okay we don't want to teach this and then you have a tr- you have trouble with the teacher who comes up with their own curriculum that violates what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I might get that, mm-hmm. but then that's a thing between the teacher and the, their her employer. Yeah, not about yeah. the kids or or the book or anything else. It's about you disavowing my beliefs as the person who runs the school. Mm-hmm. This strikes me as you know more the usual uh, crapola. It's the war against Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> get me started on that um the college of, the college of charleston is a public sea grant and space grant university located in historic downtown charleston south carolina um it was founded in 1770 and Ooh. charted in 1785 making it the oldest college or university in south carolina and the 13th oldest in the country awesome yeah so that's some history about the uh, which and this is a cool thing too because you know, being living in the states and living in New York, when you think of a place that wouldn't be would be progressive, you don't really think South Carolina first. Uh, it, it's it's cool to hear you know about mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, this just I, I I get angry about it when they do it in high schools and elementary schools even, uh, but to do it to a college, I think it's just absolutely ludicrous. Um, well, I was at a it related to this only in a way you know what. what the audience thinks what what's mm-hmm. taught. I went to a lecture with a friend of mine who's going to college out here on the island, and it's a uh, sociology class. But he did an entire lecture about creationism and evolution and the teaching of it in school. And here in liberal New York, mm-hmm. there were still people in the audience who were, well, why are you teaching this? Why are you? What are you saying these things for? Mm-hmm. It's just. Uh, you never know who's listening and why and how, and so somebody gets a bee in their bonnet, as it did here, and mm-hmm. yeah, starts a ruckus. <laughs> Steve, do you want to add anything in? 
it's just another thing to add to the each and every day, especially being on the internet as much as I am, I see things that are outlandish and ridiculous and quite frankly, a, a waste of everybody's time and interest on a, on a daily basis. This is one of them. Uh, you said it best, Bobby, where you're in college. How how do you... It, that's where you're supposed to... It's supposed to be like a coming-of-age thing. You're learning to be an adult. You're mm-hmm. training to be an adult. You're learning to be one. Those subjects, if they weren't a part of your life in high school, uh, even middle school, or just in your life in general... That that's where you're going to learn about those things. That's a little strange mm-hmm. uh, to assume that. And it's college, you know. It is broadening your horizons and learning about different things. You can't hide certain aspects of the world. You can't shelter kids forever. Mm-hmm. So just you know, let them explore. Let them read something. I'm sure they're going to be reading plenty of other things. Yeah, what the hell are they so worried about? I don't know. And the, the funny thing is, the the first quote it says lesbian sex and masturbation as if they're you know bad things, and yeah. it, and accounts of pedophilia. So it's it's not it doesn't even he can't even say it's glorifying it. It's just showing that it exists. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. I I haven't read the book, but I guarantee you that there are plenty of other things that make that book special, and that those aspects of it might not be the biggest thing that you would take away from the fact that they're focusing on that. It's like, you know, hot button words or hot button topics and making an issue out of it. That just goes back to my thing of, don't you have better things to do with your time, please? Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) You know, that you got to waste not only time creating the the problem, but then Mm -hmm. people got to report on the problem and waste more time. Mm -hmm. You're killing it for everybody. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) Nicely said. Sorry, Mm -hmm. it's my two cents. That's that kind of stuff pisses me off. You can't hide those things. You you don't necessarily have to embrace them, but guess mm-hmm. what? This is the world. They're there. They're not going anywhere. And the sooner you figure that out, we can all move on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, staying on the controversy train, but moving more into the world of comics and less into social political arena. Um, so the... Uh, a movie opened this past weekend, number one, Two Guns, which is the Mark Wahlberg... Um, Denzel Washington film, which is based on a comic book. Um, and uh, M- Mark Wade uh, tweeted, he said, congrats to Stephen Grant, who's the writer of the book. Now someone please tell me that he shared some windfall with his artist who had to adapt his screenplay because it's a creator-owned book. Um, and Grant uh, declined to comment about it and, and said if-, if Wade has a question to contact him directly. Uh and in this article in Bleeding Cool, they also mentioned something uh, Mark Millar had said, you know, a couple of years ago on Den of Geek. It said, I want to set the standard by making it 50-50 in terms of cash and producer credits. It's not that I think in a, I'm a good guy for doing it, just that you're a bad guy if you don't. I think anyone who doesn't split the rights equally is stupid because they're putting off the big artists and they'll never work with them again. I think in the next year, there are some projects that I know of that are going to become big, get picked up as movies or TV shows, and the artists aren't going to see much money while the writer makes a fortune. Nobody's talking about it yet, but I think it's going to be a big scandal. Um, hmm. So, uh, Stephanie, what do you think about this? Because uh, it, it seems, and I'm reading research on this, it seems that when we say creator-owned, a lot of the time it's the writer who owns the property and not uh, the artist. The artist is, is generally work for hire, even if they're helping to create it from the ground floor up. So what, well, do, you, what do you think about when these, when these properties go from being comic books to being in other mediums and the rights the artist has as far as this stuff goes? Okay, so I think it's... 
important to clarify that when an artist co-owns a book, it's because they designed the characters. They get that credit because they helped, you know, create that look, right? Well, right, yeah. So, I mean, if it's not co-owned by the artist, then someone else created those characters, like drew them out, whether it's the writer who also is an artist but just doesn't want to do it like full time or, you know, other. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. But is that necessarily always the case? I mean, if, you know, let's say Mark Millar goes to Image with his his script for Jupiter's Legacy and he says, I want to make this. And, and and he he sells it to them or he makes the deal with them himself, and then they bring on let's say Frank Quitely to to draw the book, you know. And yeah, he did. He wasn't part of the initial deal, but he was brought on and he helped to to and you know he Mark Millar gave him his script and he he drew the characters from that script, you know. Whether the, and maybe there weren't designs already done. Does that necessarily never happen? I I don't honestly know, but from my experience is that you know what I've just talked about mm-hmm. is the norm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, outside of that, I don't know what deals artists and writers have worked right, out. Right, right, right. Um, that's, you know, mm-hmm. just from what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking from that personal experience, you know, it would be a scandal if, let's say, Saga mm-hmm. got made. Okay. And Brian K. Vaughn got all the money and not Fiona Staples. To me, that'd be a scandal because she's a co-creator. Mm-hmm. She's billed as a co-creator. She's billed as, like Brian K. Vaughn openly said, you know, he just gave her very, very, very general descriptions and let her, like, run wild with them. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So, I mean, for that to be made into a movie and for her to not get, you know, 50-50 of the share for the movie with Brian K. Vaughn, that would be outrageous to me. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, to me, like, that book is, like, 70% her and then 30% him. Right. Um, but it varies. Mm-hmm. Again, it just depends on the situation. If that's the situation and the artist did have a large, substantial say in how this book played out and the general look of it, then by not sharing, writer is being a dick. <laughs> but that's all. To be fair, they all sign contracts at the beginning yeah. of the book before they start working on the book. And right now, comic book properties are obviously a really big deal. Like, Mm -hmm. they're getting snatched up left, right, and center. So, you know, when they're signing that contract, if they're not looking through and being like, so what's this deal with me not getting anything if this gets turned into a movie? Mm -hmm. Then that's kind of on them. Mm -hmm. So maybe it sucks, but you need to find yourself a lawyer to look over your contracts before you sign them then. (laughs) That's not necessarily on the writers. I mean, obviously, if it gets made into movies and it wasn't put in the contract, maybe it would be cool for the writers to work it out with them. But, I mean, mm-hmm. really, that's just a situation-to-situation scenario. Right, obviously. It's not all books. It's just, you know. Right, right. Bob? Anyway. Well, if you're signed on as an art robot, mm-hmm. where in essence, as you're talking about, let's say Frank Whiteley gets assigned mm-hmm. afterwards, then it becomes on the writer. Mm-hmm. Is it the, the right thing to do? Right. Share the wealth. Right. I do want to say, just so everybody knows, Jupiter's Legacy was created by both of them. Their names right. no, are on which, just but I'm using it as an example. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the other thing is, though, even let's say the, the writer in question wants to be a good guy, good, mm-hmm. good, good girl here, 
if you then sign away some part of what you, was your creation, you end up in court about that years later right? over the profits to a movie because, well, I'm the co-creator now when mm. you weren't in the first place and had just gotten it. Here's 20%. Thanks a lot. Right. Yeah. You end up being sued for the other 30 or mm-hmm. more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Steve? You have any, any opinion on it? I really don't. Okay. Well, to me, there's two things. There's two questions here. There's the there's the actual technical legal responsibility, and then there's the moral responsibility of whoever we're talking about here, right? So, um, you know, obviously last year there was this big deal where Tony Moore sued um, Robert Kirkman over Walking Dead rights, and he they settled out of they settled out of court. Uh, and Tony Moore made some some money, you know, off of that. Um, uh, and I feel like, you know, if, if that case goes to court, you, you, this is a bigger topic right now because a lot. Of, I think a lot of things, more things would come to light, be thrust into the public consciousness. I, I think that what Mark Millar says is pretty spot on. It's just that it's a stupid maneuver not to do it if you have any thought that your book's going to be successful. Because, okay, you'll do this one with this big artist and, and you're not giving him anything kickback. Yep. But then the, the, that artist can tell all his art friends, like, don't work with this guy because he's not he's going to screw you over. He's not, the book's going to get sold and he's not mm-hmm. even going to throw you anything. You know, and, uh, you know, we're obviously talking much more about the independent stuff here. We're not right. talking about Marvel and DC because those guys have no, the writers and the artists have no rights to the things that they're working on. Um there's there's very few I feel most of the time art robots when it comes to that that independent stuff as the the, the non licensed stuff mm-hmm. let's say the stuff that's being created you know from the gr- the ground floor up, um, you know in the bleeding cool article they meant he mentions Ben Templesmith who has said very openly that he's worked for hire on um, ten grand and he's perfectly happy being worked for hire on it you know it was J Michael Stransky's baby and he created it and he asked you know they hired mm-hmm. Ben t- to do it so you know that that's one thing. Um, I I think it just it it's a hard precedent because the writer is is even though it's a very visual medium, the writer is more front street than the artist is. You know, when you think of a book, when we talk about when we talk about Batman, when we talk about Daredevil, we do mention the artists. We mention Capullo, we mention Samney, but mm-hmm. we mention Wade and Snyder first. You know, every time, yes. just about you know. So uh, when it when it's very handshake, it's very hand in hand. And as Stephanie said, in a lot of cases, something like uh, saga is getting the getting the attention it deser- the attention it's getting a lot because of the art that it, that it's putting out there. The look of the book is so amazing that yeah, the writing's amazing. But there are plenty of books where the writing's amazing that sell half the amount of copies that this book does. Um, so I and I think that you have to be there's have to be careful because you know you yes legally you're in your rights but if you're taking advantage of let's say a young artist who doesn't really have their head on straight and it's just it's you know not knowing when they're gonna how they're gonna buy gas tomorrow and they get this opportunity mm-hmm. to to open a book they're kind of gonna take whatever deal they get thrown on the table so somebody else doesn't take the take the work away from them uh and i think it's kind of your job especially as, as an our creator not necessarily as an executive because executive their job is to make money and for what you're going to say about whatever they do, their job is to make money, and they're going to do it the best way they know how. If another creator is taking advantage of another of another art, artistic professional, I think that's a little bit seedy, you know, whatever the legal ramifications are of it. Steve? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it is a case-by-case basis. Yeah, absolutely. And But with that being said, and with that being the obvious truth of the matter, 
that in the future, especially with the industry the way it is now and Hollywood, you know, sticking their finger and everything that comes along that might be cool, that they've got to get more vigilant about how they're signing on to these projects Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, learn to cover their asses a little bit and not necessarily go around making demands, but just make sure that things are square. Mm-hmm. And uh, that if this business is going to continue to grow and comic books are going to continue to be like, you know, the many untapped oil wells stationed all over the world for Hollywood to tap into, that these mm-hmm. people have got to start, you know, protecting themselves and mm-hmm. making sure that if you buy up a property and then you model that film based on their the look of the comic and such, and mm-hmm. you're using characters that were drawn and created by these people just going on descriptions of things, but mm-hmm. it was their collective vision that made them a tangible thing and what they are, then damn right they should get some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and Hollywood never steals things. No, but I'm saying, yeah. like, it also, it, it's, it's also on them mm-hmm. and their representatives. I mean, if you're going into these contracts without having anybody to back you up or having any kind of professional person you know sitting on your shoulder and and whispering into your ear about what you should and shouldn't do and Mm -hmm. you know tweak this a little bit make sure that if this thing gets picked up that you at least see something Mm -hmm. you know figure it out between you and the and the writer Mm -hmm. whoever whatever percentage he believes that you're responsible for and make sure that you can claim that so that if it comes down to it you can pull Mm -hmm. out that piece of paper and go there yeah there it is Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um, and one last story. I want to. We'll get, we'll get back to something a little bit lighter. Um, this is good, though. Yeah, yeah. good. No, Valiant uh, announced earlier this week, uh, or I guess I guess last week, um, that their first big team up book is coming out. It's called Unity. Uh, it's going to be written by Matt Kent and drawn mm. by Doug uh, Braithwaite. It features Eternal Warrior, Ninjak, Toyo Harada, uh, and Livewire. Uh, fighting Exo Man of War for the planet. Um, the it's the big the big news of it though is that the number one issue is going to be a hundred percent returnable by comic book shops. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So I mean, we talked about it before this kind of thing, but Bob, why is that a brilliant move? Well, by Valiant? because what happens you're dealing now with a smaller company. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're in the second tier. Yeah. Maybe even the lower part of the second mm-hmm. tier, but with a nice history, people do know these characters from you know mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. You now give the store a chance, okay, instead of buying the four copies I was going to buy, 100% returnable, mm. I'll buy 50. Yeah. I'll buy 50 and try to sh- sell people on this is a great line of books. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, it's now no risk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you can really take a chance and maybe you turn people onto an entire line of books. It's good for the store, good for the company, good for readers. Mm-hmm. Great move by Valiant. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree, yeah. Steve. Oh, 100%. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Stephanie, what do you think about that? Amazing. I think it's, I mean, when I used to work in retail, you know, that's why people order so many magazines to a certain store because, you know, the companies will take them back if they don't sell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it's still something that, you know, they can, they don't lose a profit necessarily. So it's becoming, you know, uh, easier for retail shops to take risks on orders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it makes total sense to do this book. It's a it's a big team book. It it, it you know whatever cash cachet th- these characters have, putting them all together in a book will definitely increase it. They're going to see it number one. I I you I know 
comic book fans have been hearing about Valiant, if they haven't tried it, they've heard, oh, this is really good, this is going on, this is going on, mm-hmm. that, to see a number one with all these characters on it and and touting it as a book that you can jump onto, a writer they probably have heard of at this point because Matt Kinn is everywhere now. Mm-hmm. He's writing at all all the companies, you know, so... Uh, I know I, this artist's name from somewhere, too. I don't I don't know it, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. But uh, it, it, it completely makes sense, you know, for, for them to do it there. And it also helps because it's... Absolutely, it has Exo Man of War in it, which is one of their other other big books, which is written by the guy who's writing Green Lantern now, Robert Venditti, and it'll probably definitely have crossovers with you know not with other characters coming in and out. And if they read this book, they go, "Oh, I really like this Exo Man of War character." Now I check this out. Oh, this guy's writing Green Lantern. Oh, this guy writes Green Lantern. Maybe I will check it out. You know, it's it's a very smart move by them. And like you said, you know, we know Rob and Tor. Yep. There's gonna be a giant pile of them now, yep. where there would have been it would have there would have been a couple. If it hadn't been for that, so and sorry, just quickly, Stephanie. Go ahead. Uh, I googled him, uh, and it was Doug Braithwaite, yes. right? Yeah. Um. So he worked on like uh, Justice issues one to twelve with Alex Ross. Oh, okay. yeah, that's where I know it. Okay. Um. He worked on Green Arrow like one eighteen to one thirty seven. He's done a ton of other like single issues and things like that. But then he mm-hmm. also did, uh, Batman and the Outsiders. Okay. Uh, Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few issues of the Punisher and some only like three or four issues of Journey into Mystery. Okay, and then again scattered other things. Right, right. So obviously Big a man. ton of a yeah. ton of stuff, um, and he's exclusive to Valiant as well. That says that in that story as well. So they and they have a couple exclusive artists um, working for them now. Um, so really cool idea for them. You know, I read Quam and Woody and really liked it. I'm excited about the new issue though, yep. coming out. And so yeah, I'm I'm all I'm I'm definitely gonna buy this when it comes out. Oh, absolutely, yeah. makes it even easier to get. It's great. Um, all right, so uh, let's move on to our books of the week. Bob, why don't you start us out? Sure. Um, first things first, uh, X-Men number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the finale of this little first arc, and we're moving into Children of the Atom and mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. Uh, Brian Wood, Olivier Koipel, uh, Laura Martin on colors. This is just a fun, great, old-fashioned book. L- lots of action in this one. Mm-hmm. But still, tons and tons of emotion. We get to see lots of Jubilee and the mm-hmm. baby, which is always fun. The story split into two different uh, theaters of operation, yeah, so to yeah, speak. A yeah. uh, couple of surprises. We don't want to give too much away, mm-hmm. but there's a there's a lot of really smart stuff going on here in terms of the threat the villain presents mm-hmm. and how she does it and what she does to make things bad, yeah. which are really pretty horrendous. Mm-hmm. You never want to have a fight in a hospital. No. There's too many icky things going on. <laughs> um Really, just a lot of fun. If people haven't picked this up before, you know, we've been touting this since mm-hmm. before it came out. Did all the show on it. Mm. This is just maybe it's not Wolverine and the X Men light, but this is a lighter toned X Men book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean it's certainly not Wolverine and the X Men. This is a, it's a it's a wonderful book. It's I, I'm really excited that it's just the X Men. Like that's all, no other thing to attend. Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, adjectiveless? Adjectiveless. X-Men? Adjectiveless X Men. I like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was a really, really powerful conclusion. And one of the things I think that it does best, I mean, the the art is absolutely spectacular, but it gets so close to the characters. If you really enjoy Psylocke, if you really, I mean, if, if even if you didn't like Jubilee at all, mm-hmm. you hate her, you might start to like her after reading this yeah. run. Cause I don't know, deeper. I wanted to punch her still. Really? Everyone else was great. Jubilee needed a good slap. She does not. Sitting there with little Shogo in the car. Come on, Steph. (laughs) She's terrible. She smells like baby puke. (laughs) Oh, boy. 
All right, anyways, what else you got? Somewhere else. What else but, we like, got? X Men. I found actually, Steve, to your point, I kind of disagree with it being a powerful ending. I thought it was kind of like, oh, it's over. But I mean, overall, I like the first arc of it. Mm-hmm. It just kind of felt like it needed a little bit more, you know, pizzazz to be really outstanding. But I think it's a good start oh. for the series. Well, what I feel about the the ending of the actual issue as far as the events that occur uh, i think that we we didn't see something that that happened right they near the ending mm-hmm. of the book and i think I, I don't think this is the last we're gonna see of of, exactly. of this whole situation i think you're gonna see a lot of stuff kind of structured around uh what happens in that hospital um the my you know the stuff in the hospital was fine. Like I liked it, but the, I, I really loved the stuff back at the school with Kitty. With, with Kitty. Uh, I think he writes Kitty Pride perfectly, and I, I love, I love the way she goes from kind of being this badass, to just being this caring teacher, and it's just it's it's a very good. And I love the stuff with uh, what's her name, Jem? Is that her name? What's the name of the the rock girl? Bling, bling. bling. Uh, all the stuff with her I thought was was really really good. Um, and we got to see a little more badass Psylocke stuff in the other part. Yeah. So uh, I do agree with you that. very much on the Kitty Pride stuff. That mm-hmm. was like spot on. And um, Oliver Copiel, Olivier, um, Olivier, Olivier, sorry, yeah. Olivier Copiel does like a fantastic job of drawing each of them, especially Kitty. Like mm-hmm. he does a great job at illustrating her. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I agree. All right, awesome. Thumbs up around. Thumbs up. Uh, FF number 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Matt Fraction and sort of Michael and Laura Allred. We get to some really weird things Amazing. in this one. Uh, beyond, we still have the carrier with Alex Power and Dr. Doom and how that's all playing itself out. And old one-eyed Johnny, which mm-hmm. is sounds like a really terrible euphemism <laughs> for something. I'll just shut up. Or a Goonies <laughs> sequel. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, but we're, we deal with here the sort of very meta idea of Tom Brevoort of Marvel showing up at the Baxter building mm-hmm. with Matt Fraction and Mike Allred mm-hmm. because they have a, a comic book. Now, this goes back an awfully long way in Fantastic Four number 10 the first time in the 60s. It's the return of Doctor Doom, mm-hmm. and the first place he returns is the offices of Marvel Comics, and he's giving grief to Stan and Jack about writing a story, and they should call Reed to get him down to the office so that mm-hmm. Doom can uh, ambush him and switch his brain into Reed's body for all you <laughs> readers of Superior Spider-Man. This has <laughs> happened before in Marvel, Marvel history. Um, as well as FF-176, which is Roy Thomas and George Perez, where the Impossible Man shows up and, and looks through the window at Marvel and sees all the fun stuff on the wall and shows up and turns himself into Thor, Captain America, runs the artists and writers out of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then John Byrne put himself into the trial of Reed Richards and gets taken off Earth by the Watcher to go stand with a bunch of aliens and read and talk about stuff. So this is, you know, Matt Fraction's done his homework on this book, as we've seen, you know, going all the way back to the very beginning. This is just so much fun as Scott Lang takes them down into the rabbit hole of the micro-universe. And the kids, being kids, well, they, they bring a a micro tiger with them that becomes a macro tiger and Mm -hmm. tons and tons of fun stuff. Steve, I know you're got something to say on here. You're raring. I thought that it was genius. I thought it was absolutely genius. I have never been, I've never read a comic where they bother to include somebody from the outside and break the fourth wall pretty much the entire way through the comic. Uh, So it was fun and exciting for me to, to be exposed to that, but not just that. All the, 
like if you follow Matt Fraction on Twitter and you kind of you know his his personality a little bit and you know that he's kind of out there and he just it's completely him in this book running around uh, between the cursing and the, the questioning his own work. And at one point in the comic, he he asks, you know, he, he they make a statement about how, you know, superhero books sell better, but anything that you do, for some reason, people find interesting. And right after that page, you have two full pages of the kids waiting on the rooftop. Yeah. And it's like, it's something like 16 panels of just different points in time of all of them making it onto the roof and kind of staring off into the sky a question gets asked, a really cryptic and weird question mm. gets asked, and then the scene ends, and that's all it is. And it just goes to drive home the point of, or just the fact that in this book, even if they're doing nothing, it's still entertaining. And it just drives home that comment that was made just a page previous, and I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Oh, we, we, at one point, we get Brevoort saying, we got to have some capers. Yeah. We have to do some capers. You got to come up with something. Uh, at one point, uh, Scott says to Tom Brevoort about Matt Fraction, you let this guy write an all-ages comic book yep. <laughs> when he's cussing up a storm. Um, yeah, they're going through the vortex. He's like, yeah. shit! <laughs> <laughs> and then we, even, we, we have some nice inhuman stuff going on at the end for those yep. getting ready for his... Inhumanity? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, all the events that occur with the team and with the kids, I really liked. I was not sold on them being in the book only because <laughs> only because like I like I like the idea of it. it it's kind of like uh you know when you watch an episode of community and you're like this is a really cool idea but it's not really that funny you know but you're like I really appreciate what they were trying to do here like mm-hmm. this is what I felt about this book the meta-ness of it took me out of the story a little bit. Um, and the continuing story that he's been telling, I've been loving a lot. So being taken out of that story, be like, oh, that's Matt Fraction, that's Mike Allred, that, you know, like that stuff kind of took me out. And for the exact reason why you loved it, mm-hmm. we think that's Matt Fraction. That's all, uh, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, oh, Matt, like you're, with your silly <laughs> Twitter names and like your, yeah. everything like that, like this is just him. And so I was taken out of the reality of the FF book and that instead I felt like I was reading kind of like, a Matt Fraction like Twitter rant that he went on, you know, Ooh. where it, and and this is totally subjective. Like I like you guys loved it, which I totally understand. Um, but th- that the level of ridiculousness just didn't play for me, only because of the, the style of it. I will say though, I did love seeing the Mike Allred versions <laughs> of Mike Allred, Ginchy. Matt Fraction, <laughs> we'll bring his Madman shirt. You know, I I like that stuff a lot. So. Uh, for me, it got a little too meta, but I still, I still really enjoyed. The I mean, book. I like it. I like it as a one-off. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I like it as a break in between the story and all the heaviness that that's just starting to go on, especially last issue. Mm-hmm. How they're building on some really big things. It seems like almost like alleviating some of the some of the pressure built up before you're going to go hog wild with some of the bigger themes that have been looming in the background. Yeah, that this was kind of. You know the the dip in the pool before you whatever right yeah, yeah. It's such a, I, and it's such a yeah it's such a great nod back though to Marvel's past where they're mm. in the Marvel universe there is Marvel comics no oh, yeah no and I get and, the, you and know it's yeah. always been yeah. part yeah. and parcel I would not of want this. this I would not want it to be like I would not want him to be in the book all the time or even for an arc or even mm. for two issues right. 
that would be even too much for me. I mm-hmm. thought this was a cool little like, holy shit, they're actually doing this. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. by the end, it's you know back to business, and there was still some major plot stuff happening every couple of pages. That mm-hmm. it was it wasn't just taking me out of it entirely. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, there were even it may have been ten years ago they did Marvel Comics, the Marvel Universe Marvel Comics, and actually did. I think they did Spider-Man or Daredevil. They did about six or seven different... Oh, really? ...what the actual Marvel Universe Marvel <laughs> comics would have looked like. I'm going to have to go dig those up. They're in the <laughs> back there somewhere, buried under something. Anyway, moving forward. And um, this is not just my book of the week. Quite frankly, this is my book of the year. Wow. Uh, um, it's Captain Marvel 14. Uh, it's Kelly Sue DeConnick, Scott Hepburn, uh, and we have a new... Uh, Speaking of the mic, Bob. Her, Gerardo Sandoval. I have to find his name. I can't even read anymore. <laughs> uh, covered by Joe Canonis. Uh, look, I, I read, and everyone has their own uh, agenda, how we read books, what the order is. I tend to put Captain Marvel at the bottom of my pile every week that it comes out so that I know the last thing is something of really high quality, that you know, the, the last drop of the day is something special. I read this one first because I had sort of spoiled where some of this goes to myself by seeing a cover solicit from two months out, which is why I warned people last mm-hmm. week. After I read this, the emotional impact that after reading the ending of this, I couldn't even open any other book. <laughs> I ju- actually didn't even bother cracking another comic book. Wow. Uh, wh- this is a story that goes to some of the greatest sort of one-shot sort of stories, even though it's the end of a, of a, of a little arc here. I can't spoil too much here, but let me just say that the heroism shown here uh, by Carol Danvers, her uh, determination to always do the right thing, that it's just brilliantly emotional. It speaks to all the characterization that's been laid down on this character now over a year's worth of issues by Kelly Sue DeConnick, a character that means nothing in the grand history of things that she sort of resurrected and just layered all these wonderful beats through this, this run. And to now have it culminate in this where every bit of them comes into play. It's all part of the original Captain Marvel's history. It's Ms. Marvel's. It's the Claremont Jerry Conway stuff from the 70s. And it's all just here. There are moments and lines that I'm not going to spoil for people that they should read for themselves. I know a lot of people are waiting to have read this whole little mm-hmm. Enemy Within arc. Mm-hmm. Do yourself a favor. Pick this up now. There will be a trade coming. I think it's in December that will put all the pieces in one place. The, the early, that first... Avengers Enemy Within may be hard to get to. I mean, I don't mm. think it was the biggest seller of all time, and it sort of went by the boards. Uh, find it. Buy it. Just embrace this. This is just a spectacular book. Indeed. I, do you can want to I say something yeah, about it? Yeah. That's why I'm looking at you. Uh, it's funny because Bob had mentioned the spoiler or, or the solicits, and I had actually I was going through previews, and I saw mm. the solicits. So with those solicits in mind... I had completely assumed that this story would end a certain way and that it would either get that started or it would be obviously the first page that you open the next issue. And it was not. It was not even a little bit. Like, it wasn't even mentioned really at all. So to me, the end of this was still very much uh, a shocker, if anything. And the amount of heart and the amount of, uh, like you said, determination like exhibited by the character was just truly inspiring in certain ways. And I kept having it ring in my head 
of people that have told me that uh, like female comic book characters can't be can't kick in the ass or that their stories aren't you know nearly as interesting or as as like a male superhero and I call bullshit on all of that. Yeah. Um, this was some pretty special stuff and I did wait to read the whole thing. I read it all last mm-hmm. night in one shot and it was highly rewarding. So uh, you could all take Bob's word for it that if you do get your hands on it, it is quite special. Yeah, now I, I look at this, you know, it's one of these things where in, in this day and age, there's so much darkness in comics and so much, you know, has changed. This is just such a throwback. I mean, it's just a complete shining example of what true comic book heroism can be. Uh, just amazing. I mean, the book had me in tears. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't happen very much. But <laughs> you, you close the book and say, oh, I can't believe you did that to me, but you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was great. And I think that... It, it she pays off something that she's been seeding for a long time now you know we this is i mean we seven eight issues now mm-hmm. we've been dealing with the this problem that carol's been having um and the 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 event itself is built you know very nicely with each issue being you know nicely self-contained but also part of a whole uh she did a very good job when it was the Avengers Assemble issues, not focusing completely on Captain Marvel. So people who were reading that book not for Captain Marvel weren't losing out on all those characters. We got a lot of Spider Woman stuff, a lot of Hulk stuff. You know, we got some Cap stuff. You know, all all over the place. Um, uh, you know, the end of the previous issue is pretty badass when she's basically like, "I'm gonna go kick his ass," yeah. kind of thing, which is great. It's great stuff. Uh, and the end of this is 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 very very emotional, and you know. The, you know, I, I think, and it's interesting because Damon Lindelof, who obviously, you know, he's a big movie writer now, wrote Lost. He is, he did an interview uh, with Vulture uh, either yesterday or the day before. And then there's a big quote from it where he talks about kind of disaster porn and kind of the, what Hollywood has been going to and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, the need to, you know, escalate and escalate and escalate, uh, which he even accused him. He's like, he's like, I know it's ironic for the person who wrote Star Trek into Darkness and Prometheus <laughs> and and you know whatever to say this kind of stuff. But he's like, you know, uh, it, you know the need to escalate. And the great thing about this this arc is that there is, it doesn't esc- it does escalate obviously, but uh, it trumps uh, personal sacrifice and personal uh, fortitude over you know the you know having to see a giant a buildings fall and, and things explode. Um, and, and I think that's great. Uh, yeah. So there's something I can say more than you guys. Stephanie, did you, did you, have you been reading this? No, I'm behind on it. Well, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> oh, oh. Sorry. Hopefully right. we haven't spoiled anything and you'll... No, no, I mean, we didn't say anything. Um, all right. So Bob, is that all for you? That's it for me. All right, Stephanie, what do you got for us? Um, well, let's see. I'm going to start with, let me see my list here. Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talk about this pretty regularly, but it's just consistently good. And I still think that there's a stigma around Aquaman as a character just being ridiculous. I mean, I mean, the concept of him in a lot of ways is, but he's now being written in such a great way. And I think the sales are pretty good, but... Yeah, they're very good. I, I think more people should be reading them. Just saying. <laughs> and yeah. it's been... This issue was great. I don't know if anyone read number 22, but... Yeah, enjoyed it I a lot. I did definitely. I, I was actually reading it, and my girlfriend was sitting next to me. And I remember I turned the page, and I went, "Whoa!" And she was like, "What?" And so I had to go back and show her uh, what happened. There's more Aquaman hits somebody with a rather large item. That is a pretty awesome moment. It is. It's yeah. very. 
Pacific Rim moment. It is sort of Pacific Rim-ish. Ah, yeah. Nice. Um, and it's, I just really enjoy it. And again, this is, if somebody had told me before the DC New 52 launch that I would be like loving an Aquaman book, I would have been like, what? Really? I guess. <laughs> Liar. Well, you don't know what to talk about. <laughs> Anyways, it's great. I really, really recommend it. Um, so the next one I want to mention, which is like my book of the week, um, the wake number three. Mm-hmm. I cannot get enough of this book. Like every time I read it, it makes me like go nerd out and look up all of these things that get referenced in the book. Like, I'm like, does that really exist? <laughs> and then I wind up on the internet for like four hours Googling things. And I'm like, what? Science. <laughs> and like, seriously, it's killing me. I can't even deal with how awesome it was. At Boston, um, I was at like this uh, dinner and we were walking with Scott Snyder and like the whole time I'm like, seriously, you know, the wake. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And he's like, thanks, thanks. I'm really glad. And I'm like, no, really. It's so good. Like you had me being like, whoa. I'm, like, I'm going to stop now. But like, whoa. <laughs> and, I'm sure he appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's, like, super humble. If any of yeah. you have met him at a convention, he's seriously one of the nicest people in comics. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stop gushing about it. It's one of my favorite comics out right now, if not, like, my most anticipated, you know, when is issue number four here? I need it. <laughs> it's just so good. And every page is this, you know, one-two punch. And I love the little mini stories that kind of come in before and after. And just... The overall story that's happening, it's, ah, oh, and again, without spoiling anything, the last page. Yes, I was just about to say I, that. I was just like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, what? shit. What? And Sean Murphy could not be a more perfect artist to work on this book. Mm-hmm. They, it's sort of that, it, they're 50-50 on making it amazing. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is awesome. The story is awesome. The art is awesome. And it is exactly what you would picture for this book. Mm. I couldn't picture any other artist doing better job on it. And yeah. seriously, if you're not reading it, you're stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you're you not go. really stupid. Yeah, that's a lot. You just told Bobby, stupid, Stephanie. Okay, well, read it, Bob. <laughs> and then maybe you won't be stupid. stupid bob but you should really consider it okay <laughs> i think bob would really get uh, a kick out of it it's it harkens back to a lot of the old carpenter films yeah, it definitely feels like, like a john oh, carpenter story very very good yeah he definitely took the reins off in this issue yeah you know and he they amped up the the events that occurred and the creepy factor that occurred i i, I love that that's the whole thing. Like we were excited about it at the first issue that mm-hmm. it's only getting better. I love it when that happens. Well, yeah. It's a mini series. So, I mean, they have to kind of keep up that momentum right from the get go and they can't really dawdle on giving you right. answers, but, but we, you know, we... I still expected there to be a little bit of a buffer and some filler. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's none of that. Yeah. No. It's, what? Yeah. You're getting your money's worth and each page, like there's no filler. Mm hmm. It's yeah, what happened in this issue? Point. What happened in this issue? I didn't expect to happen until like issue six. You know right. the, the way things occurred here. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. It yeah. made me happy. In yeah. case you didn't, you missed that. <laughs> All right, you just gotta wait till she's done. I know, I know. It's tough to tell when Stephanie's done though. 
It's tough to tell. Well, I. Oh my god! Ah! <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's At least okay. it was sort it's of words and not just sound effects. And then it was like. <laughs> and then it was like. <laughs> Anything yeah, else, no. Stephanie? Well, I read lots of things, like, but you know, I'll let other people talk. Okay, Steve. <laughs> I finished Why the Last Man this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it was perfect. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. I one of the things that I kept on thinking to myself is with Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples doing Saga now and having Saga, I hope, you know, we don't know when Saga is going to end. It could end up being just as large, if not larger or smaller than mm-hmm. uh, than Why the Last Man. But that was a very declarative statement. Yeah, <laughs> I covered I covered all bases. It could be longer, as long or shorter than Why the Last Man. <laughs> Well, why the can't last... be wrong there. Yeah, can. You covered all your bases. Brian K. Vaughn has this way when he writes, at least in my experience, between Bride of Baghdad, uh, Bride, Pride of Baghdad, <laughs> uh, Saga, and Why the Last Man, he has such a like majestic epicness to the way that he writes and the characters that he creates. And in Why the Last Man, he creates this story that, you know... 99.9% of the population of the story is women, females. Mm-hmm. York is the last one. So he he invites you between Paya Guerra uh, as artist and, and Brian K. Vaughn. They completely invite you into this fantasy world where all this horrible stuff has happened and now the world is being rebuilt. I think the story takes the course over like five years plus and you get to see how societies would function or how societies would be rebuilt with women in the pla- in all places of power construction government all of that stuff you have you know the radical factions running around doing things committing crimes and such but i just i found my i, I was questioning as i was reading it in general i read it pretty quickly about maybe the course of 2 weeks i read the whole thing and I was wondering when it was really going to hit me, like how incredible it was, because this is a, a story that's been told to me for the better part of two years, that if you haven't read it, like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you don't even know what a comic book is until you read <laughs> Why the Last Man, Steve. So uh, it was definitely one of the most rewarding reading experiences I've had. The final two issues, it's always the worst when you read something really big and you know that there are things that were never addressed things that were, you know, you're kind of like, well, you're going to get to that. And he does. The last two issues pull everything together. And yet again, I almost cried over a comic book. Almost. (laughs) Almost. Uh, Didn't happen, but it was close. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to put something together uh, for Why the Last Man for for both the website and for, for fans. But we'll have more details on that to come. But anyway, uh, that was my absolute favorite book of the week, just in general. feel ha- Finishing that, feeling like I've actually accomplished something, so <laughs> to speak. But my other favorite book of the week was, uh, I'm going to take over Bob's uh, place on this, is Fearless oh. Defenders number seven. Yay! <laughs> uh, written by Cullen Bunn with art by Stephanie Hans. Uh, Stephanie Hans is, she's I don't know, she hasn't done a whole lot of stuff, but... I believe she was responsible for um, some of the covers from the Journey into Mystery arc. What was that one called? The um, which one? The one that we all that we all started on. Oh, the uh, the terrorism myth. 
No. No? The Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it right now. The Exile or something yeah, 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 to that yeah, yeah. effect. Oh, Exiled. Yeah, Exiled. Exiled, yeah. yeah. So that like f- five or six part or whatever that was, mm. that was her. So I had no idea that they were changing artists for Fearless Defenders. I opened up this book and like my my hair blew back. <laughs> I opened it up. It's, it's that Max L ad from yeah, yeah exactly. It was chair. like a Max L ad with with a comic book, just like. <laughs> uh, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. Uh, I'm very happy to say that she is going to be at New York City Comic Con this year. <gasps> so if you do like Ooh. the art inside Fearless Defenders number seven, she will have a table. And um, uh, she'll be selling prints and various blah, blah, blah. So be sure to check her out. Well, you'd have to love the art. You'd be stupid not to love the right. art. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, this this book to me is one of the bigger surprises. Like, we were always talking about how Hawkeye has been such a, like, a surprise smash head of a comic book. This is one of the other comics to me that has been a, a huge surprise with just how engaging it is and how cool their characters are. Um, I mean, there's everything just in this one issue. This is also a really great jumping on point. Uh, you might want to pick up issue number six, but even if you mm. don't, I think you'll be okay. And uh, I mean, this has got sword fights. It's got magic. It's got trolls. It's got uh, like broken promises. I know that sounds really heavy, but it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful title that is, you know, really staked a claim in in my interest and in looking forward to more issues and such but this issue in particular was outstanding so if you have yet to check out fearless defenders definitely pick up issue number seven it is beautiful it's well written and like i said it's totally a great jumping on point so you hear us talking about it all the time this is the one that you want to jump onto until that first trade comes out uh i loved it but well, i i would say that you do pay off a lot of what happens in issue six. I was a yep. little concerned, uh, needless to say. But we get to that. It would, I think, it really gives you more emotion if you do pick up issue six. But people could mm-hmm. buy that trade, which would probably actually it may not be one through six because it's one of those Ultron issues in right. between. Mm. Well, right, right, well, yeah. A lot of it, yeah. a lot of the issues about sacrifice, and it's about what you know, what would you do for your friends and for your family, and what kind of, what would you give up for mm-hmm. them. And uh, just because of the characters involved, who it happens to, and having that be one of the more relatable characters for readers, it kind of puts you right in there with these fantastic characters and figures in this book. Um, and it's just, it, it, it plays it very close to, to the characters. It brings you right in there. It's awesome. And it's a great little throwback without saying too much about the ending to the original Defenders and their version of Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Something that was going on back in the... Old, old days. All right. Very cool. Um, so for me, one of the things I did was I caught up on uh, New Avengers, Avengers, and Uncanny Avengers. Uh-huh. I'm curious. What you... Uh, New Avengers, I was only an issue behind. So I, it was great. Uh, I've just, I know I needed to catch up. I finally had to, I was up against the gun because Infinity is starting in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I needed to, actually a week, I guess, from now. So I needed to be caught up. Um you know, uh, reading it all as a lump uh, was much better for me mm-hmm. because what happened with me was even though the character-specific issues he was writing I think were good, I felt like every time I was buying the issue we weren't going anywhere. You know, I wasn't moving anything forward. I was just seeing these these singular stories about these people, but 
I know there's a bigger story. It's it's that this is where John Hickman's reputation works against him because I know there's a giant story you want to tell. So please get to your giant story so I I can see it. Um, reading it all as a lump and taking those the single issues in account, he obviously wrote them for a reason because those characters come into play very heavily as the the issue the issues go along and their backstories are very much a part of the decisions they make and the emotion you're supposed to feel when stuff is happening. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I really, really liked it. I thought that the de- developments with the, the star brand character were, were, went beyond what I really hoped. I thought I, I was not looking forward to where that was going and then what he did with it was really cool. So that stuff was great. I loved the stuff, uh, in the Savage Land when they're kind of teaching the, mm-hmm. like the children things mm-hmm. to, yeah, to the new to, race. Yeah. The new race. Uh, I tell you what, I've really grown to love Hyperion quite a lot uh, yeah. fr- mm-hmm. from reading these these issues. Um, I love his relationship with Thor. I think it's a it's a great thing there. Um, uh, I and I I've also I also I loved loved the issue with like the Canadian superheroes yeah. and when they they get into that the the city that's been overrun by mm-hmm. the, the the those evolution bombs or whatever and what happens to them in the way it, it was very. Uh, you know, it is very reminiscent of like great uh, like horror or spy movies, like in that same tone where like you know, don't come in here, whatever you do, don't come, you know, that yeah. whole kind of thing, and the way that plays out. Um, so I, I love that stuff. Uh, Uncanny Avengers uh, continued to be the book that I wanted to be. This past issue was brought. It did a very kind of almost Blackest Night thing where these these group of characters who were dead came back as agents of apocalypse. They were resurrected on purpose by uh, the, the apocalypse twins to hurt the people that these uncanny Avengers, uh, the, the team has split up and, and uh, I, I, I like the way that they're dealing with that. So that book is, has remained to be great. Um, uh, obviously moving on from that, uh, Batman incorporated number 13, uh, Grant Morrison's Batman run comes to an end. This is this this book is kind of an unwinnable situation, uh, I, I think, because how do you wrap up seven years of stories, really diverse stories over three or four different titles in one twenty-four page uh, comic book? You really can't. And this book, you know, I I hesitate. It's a disappointment. Uh, it is disappointing because. You, what you want is kind of what John's got to do with the Green Lantern stuff, which is a big, huge issue where you get to, you know, wrap wrap up everything. And uh, he doesn't really do that, you know. And I think my biggest complaint with the issue is just it's not even as 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 weird as I hoped it was going to be, you know, because that's why I read his stuff for the most part. I want to see that mm-hmm. outlandish, out of this world thinking, and it, it's not standards. There is some weird shit that happens in the book. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I wanted something else, I think, and I do. I do think there's a conversation between Bruce and Gordon, which is the spine of basically the entire story. I think that's very good, but I do feel like this book kind of crescendoed uh, with the Damien death, and has kind of mm-hmm. been. It's been on the downward slope. The, those six issues since then, or, or what have you. Which makes sense. I mean, you can't end a whole story with one issue when you've been telling it for six years. But I felt like that was really the emotional and critical peak of the story. And it seems like I've gone down from there. It's been wrapping stuff up. And I, it just it hasn't lived up, I think, to that moment. Um, it, it, doesn't, it does not sour for me, the run that I've read. 
Uh, I love it, and I think that he did some amazing stuff. But as a last issue, as a final issue of this series, uh, it was a little bit underwhelming to me. Steve, I know that you read it. Yeah, I uh, I feel almost just about the same. I mean, it definitely doesn't take away from the entire run for me. I did enjoy it overall. I do definitely agree that it definitely crescendoed with Damien's death, but... Mm. I really enjoyed issue 12, which mm-hmm. was the, the big battle issue. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I found the the, the art, because the art I've been kind of hit and miss with, it's certain panels look great. Other panels, I think, look not so great, I'll say. But issue 12 really had me going. Like the momentum of it, the, the fight, how it was all over the place. They're moving from place to place. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, more than one, one person attacking, so on and so forth. And it really got like my my heart rate up and my blood pumping and stuff like that and then i picked up the last issue and i'm reading and i'm reading and i'm reading and i'm still like feeling that momentum i could feel it coming down a little bit because we're getting down to like the nitty-gritty but then something happens something very final happens in the last issue and it was almost if like that person that walks in the room at the party and the dj just kind of scratches the record (laughs) and everybody turns around in silence and stares Mm -hmm. at the person that's how I felt when that moment occurred, where it was just like like a roller coaster, like bo- like build up, build up, build up, and then instead of having that huge plummet down, you found out that you had to still go across a ways mm-hmm. before they just dropped you off at the end and it right, came yeah. to a you know a hissing stop. Yeah. Um. So I hate to use the word anticlimactic because mm-hmm. I feel like it didn't have so much of a of a rewarding sense because I almost forgot who came into the picture and Mm. and how that whole thing has just been going on for so long that the impact of that person being there and that person pulling off what they did, I was kind of like, well, I didn't want that to happen, but this was not what I wanted either. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry if that doesn't make any sense to anybody. I'll shut up in a second. (laughs) Um, It was weird. I mean, not the good weird. Mm -hmm. It left me, it left me feeling very um, just, strange Mm -hmm. walking away from it yeah don't regret it yeah great great run and entertaining Mm -hmm. but just a very head-scratching finish Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree Uh, we may have talked about this before but would this have played better if this ended the old 52 if batman incorporated come to an end damien Mm -hmm. dies then batman retires or something or yeah just walks away i think it was you know obviously it was always conceived i think to end in whatever continuity because he didn't know the new future was happening when he conceived this whole story so you, you know the the brushes it's had with continuity have that's why they felt i think so jarring to people uh you know a, a death of a character that's erupted throughout the entire universe for one thing um where it always kind of felt like an offshoot or like its own thing um and there's even a reference here to zero year uh gordon mm-hmm. makes a reference to it and stuff and uh yeah i i think that no, don't get me wrong. These thirteen issues overall have been very, very good, and some of the I think I think those first eight or nine issues uh, I think were great. You know, the point where it was the second most excited I was for a bat book in the entire thing, and maybe it was because I knew it was ending. Maybe it's because you know what I was expecting was kind of a a a payoff, a payoff, a payoff, or a wrap up to all of this great, this intense continuity that he had delivered. And maybe he just couldn't do it because of what the continuity is now in the universe that he's dealing with. Um, You know, there are villains that were in 
Batman Inc. before that haven't been introduced in the new universe, so can he use them, can he not use them? They were pretty important villains, but they're not his to use anymore. Uh, so, who knows? Uh, I will say this, he, he definitely, you know, he, he took all the toys out of the, out of the toy box and, and did with them what he will, and this last issue really kind of puts everybody back in the toy box, kind of where he left them, you know, with, with Damien off the board and, uh, Talia is definitely in a different place than she was before. And another character is, is, is ascending. And, you know, we, we, I will say there is one thing that he does. It has a very cool take on the Gordon Bruce relationship and what Gordon knows and what Gordon doesn't know and what he's saying and what, what he says and what he doesn't say, uh, which I, I thought was, was probably the most intriguing part of the, the entire issue. Um, you know, overall, it's not the ending possibly that I wanted to the series, but like I said, the the journey was so good that I don't I don't fault it for it doesn't sully the rest of the series to me. Mm. Um, and really quickly, I, I don't want to spend too much time because we're already running long before we even get to our our topic. But uh, I do want to mention Collider number one uh, from Vertigo, uh, Simon Oliver and Robbie Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a awesome, I think, an awesome book. I agree. Uh, uh, it a very you know, it deals in this kind of very, a little bit in vogue thing right now, which is this, you know, organization of people who deal, like, deal with this, you know, an organization of people who, who are run like a, a very bureaucratic organization that deal with uh, really supernatural or amazing things, you know. It's like what they do in Looper, it's what they do in all these kind of things, you know, and they're dealing with, they're, they're, there's a tear in the universe, and there are these times where gravity just goes away, and there's this organization, this group, this government organization that basically is in charge of mending these fissures and and they're sewing holes in the universe shut, uh, you know, to, until they can find a larger solution for what's happening. Um, and this issue deals with the lead character is a, a, an agent kind of in that organization. He's kind of a mess. He likes to drink. He likes to, you know, likes to party, likes to fuck around. Uh, <laughs> and he gets himself into a rather uh, precarious uh, situation, uh, really cool. The, the art by Robert Rodriguez is, is is really really good. Very angular. Uh, Love the trails. Yeah. The, yes. And the colors are just amazing. Like the uses of these pinks and purples and, and stuff. And uh, you know, I like the design of his their outfits. It's just uh, it's it's a really really good book, and I definitely recommend it uh, if you're looking for uh, you know an mm-hmm. indie title with a little bit of a sci-fi bent to it. Very it's a very bit cool. Dense but it's good. Like, it's just, there's a lot to absorb. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I think that, the, uh, for me, a lot of the dense nature of it came from the beginning, like the, the mm-hmm. opening couple of pages where they kind of, they set up the world in a very quick way and leave a lot of mystery, you know, to what's happening. This agent we're talking about had a father who was kind of involved in the moment where this initial rip happened and he's making like video diaries for his son and something happens while he's making this video diary. And that's how we're kind of introduced to this different world that these people are living in. Yeah, um, that's my only complaint about it is it's mm, just almost a bit too much thrown mm, at you at once. But like I had to go through it a few times to kind of really absorb what was happening. Mm, but I mean, mm, other than that, it's it a seems really like solid start. Yeah, like they're they're trying to build their own science within the story. Yeah, that it's something that we're going to have to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're also going to have to I think learn the mystery of why things are the way they are mm-hmm. uh, as we go along. But. So that's it for my uh, book of the week. Uh, We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back with listener questions.
right, we are back. And as we are wont to do sometimes, we, we solicited questions from the uh, listeners and readers at TalkingComicBooks.com and got a ton of questions in. We haven't done one of these shows in a while, so we wanted to do a kind of a listener appreciation time. Um, that, and it's much easier for us because we don't have to pick a topic. We can just let you guys do all the work for us. Uh, Why tell them things like I'm that? I'm out by the pool right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Stephanie collected all the questions from Twitter and Facebook, and I have a few questions we got in email. Um, just as you guys know, I've set up a podcast-specific email. It's podcast at talkingcompbooks.com. So now your podcast questions won't get lumped in with you know, the business end of, uh, of the stuff that, that we do. So uh, podcast at talkingcompbooks.com. All right, Stephanie, why don't you hit us with the first question? Sure. So this is a question that we kind of get asked We've gotten asked a couple times before, but I feel like it changes because of, you know, our constant, the constant new books that we get kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, asked about or they come about, not asked about. Anyways, so David Spear wants to know, you're on a deserted island. You're only allowed to choose five titles from your current poll list. What would you pick? So I guess they're airdropping these five titles to you every month yeah. or week or whatever. <laughs> or Can I have some food? Yeah. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. What's no. important? There's... Comic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Food? You can go fishing. <laughs> do whatever you need to do. But these are getting airdropped to you regularly. Which ones do you keep? <laughs> oh, boy. All right. That, that's, a, that's a good one. I, I'll say for myself, um, I, here, here's the problem with uh, this question because – and I overthink questions like this, but the this Desert Island thing that I would be on this thing for a very, very long time. Uh, so I worry about some indie books being around <laughs> for a very, very long time because I don't know if I get to replace those books. Is this just a list of five books that, you know, the Tor Comics well, airline drops yeah. off? I think that you can, if if a book, if a run ends, I know. they'll be nice you, enough to tell I was you. Joke. I was partly you, joking. You can call the office. It's a yeah. very serious question. It's a very serious question. Overthinking. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's obvious ones for me. I mean, for right now, Daredevil, Batman, and Hawkeye would definitely be three of the books on that list. Um, and then probably, it's just such so uninspired list, but... Uh, Probably Saga, mm-hmm. and um, hmm, I'm going to think on the fifth one. So, Bob, do you have any? Uh, well, Hawkeye would have to be on my mm-hmm. list. Um, it's down to five, huh? Yeah. Batgirl. Okay. Fantastic Four, but now I've got to parse the, the equation. Do I want FF and Fantastic Four? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, certainly has to be Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I might have to say New Avengers. Oh, look at that. All right. Got to have some Hickman. Got to have some Hickman. Some long-form storytelling. Yeah. You're going to be upset, though, when when it, when the parts, the parts of crossovers <laughs> happen. This is part three of Infinity. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's, That's a problem in real life for That's me, too. Really it's true. Good, it's very, very really true. Point. Very, very true. Uh, Steve. Oh, God. I only have three right here. Right okay. Now. Let's list them off. All right. Well, FF mm-hmm. for certain. Saga, definitely. Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And oh, I don't want to. I don't want to say Batman. <laughs> I really don't want to say Batman. Wait a minute. No. What do you have against I'm, Batman? I'm gonna tell Scott Snyder. No, no, no. Where's that other picture? This one, because I have all my, all my. Uh, oh, Superior Spider-Man mm-hmm. would definitely be one of them. And uh, mind management. Okay. Yes, Stephanie. What about you? All right. So. 
even though it's ending soon, The Wake, in case you missed it, I'm really excited about this title. <laughs> um, and this is assuming that I'm going to be on this deserted island as of, like, tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need my, you know, new issues of that. Okay. <laughs> then we got Rachel Rising, Brian Wood's X-Men series, Saga, and Revival. All right. I'm going to trade my last one for Morning Glories. Okay. All right. And I think I would probably um, I do uh, it's, t- it's tough. It's a toss-up between FF and All New X-Men. But I already got some Fraction Love on, on my list. So I'm going to say All New X-Men nice. as my, as my last and my five. I approve. Thank you very much. And plus it comes out so much that I would get a lot of <laughs> comics very often. So I'd be happy about that. Um, all right. Cool. Good question. So next up, we've got a question from Frankie Riviera. Um, after Days of a Future Past, Days of Future Past? Yes. Yeah. Um, days of a Future Past. <laughs> I know it says Days of a Future Past. And I was like, wait, is that the title? <laughs> Anyways, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. So which story in the X-Men movie universe should be told next? Hmm. I think I've got an answer for this. Go ahead, Stephanie. Um, House of M. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Be really tough to do, mm-hmm. but once we, if you get all the universes linked together, I which mean, is another question, I believe we. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that would be. It's it's an epic, epic story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Of, it's like everything, right? It's like yeah. the whole universe. Yeah. 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 Nice pick. Thank you, Bob. What about you? Well, beyond, I'd love to see them really do Phoenix. Properly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But mm. that is that isn't going to happen. Uh, it might someday. I hope. Yeah. Uh, two, I think about one, if they're going to go real cosmic and mm. do Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd love to see Lalandra and the Guardians and the Star Jammers. And I mean, you guys watch the cartoons, yeah, so you yeah, know yeah, what yeah, that's all about. Yeah. So it'd be very cool. But just before all the Phoenix stuff starts, there's a. At one point, Magneto had been turned back into an infant. <laughs> I mean, this gets, sounds ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> you know, it's Marvel Comics and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. some outer space character, and Professor X did it to him, and mm. ended up being little teeny white-haired little baby Mm -hmm. um he got better Mm -hmm. and using mastermind the the mutant uh telepath he captured the x-men and had them all thinking they belonged working in a in a carnival Mm. and captured them and ended up bringing them to the south pole in his horrible base and stuck them all in these chairs that negated their powers and made them into infants themselves and they have a huge fight, and there are volcanoes erupting, and they end up in the Savage Land, and that's where he, Wolverine goes to Japan for the first time. It's issues 111 to 113, and it would be a heck of a lot of fun. You've got Magneto and Epic and, and everybody. So that would be my pick. All right. Hmm. Steve. Well, in the idea of expanding the X-Men universe or the X-Men filmverse, I'd kind of like to see a Wolverine and the X Men, if I'm allowed to choose that yeah, uh, as a film. Why not? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Unfortunately, have not read enough X Men to really have uh, a story in mind of the ones that haven't already been mentioned. But I think it'd be really cool to do kind of like a uh, comedic uh, X Men film with some, you know, younger actors portraying these new students, and maybe. In expose people to a little bit more of, of some of the newer mutants that are popping up or what's going on. Like you take the situation that's happening in all new all new X Men and Uncanny X Men with all these new mutants popping up. I think it'd be really cool to throw a few more in the mix there and not always rely 
on the same characters that we've gotten from the previous films. It seems like they're always coming back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, these characters are, a lot of them are mainstays, but I think it'd be fun to kind of, you know, blow it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to do it, get good writers and do it right. And, and don't, some of the first class stuff was uh, the behavior of, of the students and the way that they carried themselves sometimes in that movie got a little bit on my nerves. I would rather have them take it a little bit lighter than that. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. Cool. Um, I would, I mean, the age of apocalypse stuff seems like a cool idea to me uh, with the kind of altered dimension. And I think it's a good villain uh, for them, but uh, and the, uh, the story I like to see, which has also been was slightly bastardized by X Men: The Last Stand, is the gifted storyline that Joss Whedon did as his first run, which dealt with the mutant cure and, and all of that kind of stuff. He brought back Colossus in that run, and it's it's really cool. And that has you know has Emma Frost as kind of a very central character and uh, deals with some of the you know different X Men in that universe. So that's what I would like to see. Oh. Mm. So we've taken X-Men Last Stand apart. We yes. want the two halves of it redone. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. What do we got next, Stephanie? So next question is from Justin Townsend. He wants to know if one of the big two were to fall, which one would it be? And could another company move into that spot? I mean, that's tough. I mean, both of them are owned by incredibly major <laughs> publishing yeah. arms uh who you know regardless of wh- how many books we buy from each company i think those companies probably uh care more about them for their ip than than any kind of artistic yeah. uh, well, fidelity but but i would uh, do i think one of the other companies could rise up if one of if one of them were to fall uh, I mean, it would probably be image just because of the the breadth and width of their thing but the only thing working against image is that you know, it has been shown because what why DC and Marvel is so popular is they don't have a shared universe, mm-hmm. and I think that that works to their benefit with the books they put out now. But if you have to move into that second, you know, the, the you know move into the spotlight as one of the top two companies, spending as much money as they have to spend to put out books and distribute and all of those kind of things, um, you're gonna have to have a shared universe. So I, I, I think that it'd be tough for them to to be there. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that probably the people that are the closest to it would be someone like Dark Horse, who has sort of a, a, sort of a universe that they're building with superheroes. Valiant, perhaps. Valiant, perhaps. It, you know, obviously, if you can expand your line. But, I mean, for me, it would, I think it would probably it would probably be Image, but I would think in the model that exists now, Dark Horse would be a better fit for, for that other second spot. Yeah, I agree. Because mm-hmm. Image is doing spectacular work, but mm-hmm. it... Even though some of these books last a long time, it is they're all sort of one shots in mm. their own way. They're six issue one shots. Yeah, here's a mini. We we do great. We sell lots of books. We sell lots of trades. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't build that shared universe yeah. you're talking about, which gets people's dollars locked up into. I have to read this one, which goes mm-hmm. to this one. I like that character. If you're reading Walking Dead, you might like Revival mm-hmm. or something else, but you're yeah. not going to necessarily have to buy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie, what do you think? Um. I kind of disagree with you guys. I think without all of that money going to events and stuff being put out by the big two, um, that would leave lots of money for another company. So first of all, I think it would be Marvel that would take the fall. Not the fall necessarily, but I could see Disney, who owns Marvel, being like, you know what? Comics really aren't that profitable for us. But you know what's really profitable for us? Movies. Mm -hmm. We make some 
awesome movies that people really love. Let's put all of our efforts into this. So, I mean, that's not really necessarily something that's going to happen. But if it did, I could see that maybe being their thing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so then I think Image would take that spot. And without all of Marvel's stupid events and stupid crossovers and stupid freaking variant covers for like, you know, 50 variants for one title, people would have the money to buy (laughs) Image books consistently all the time yeah but see you 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 have this kind of like uh idealistic view of what the comic book buying public wants to buy and the we might not love the marvel events but when you have three books four books in the top five like you have three age of ultron books in the top five all selling ninety thousand to a hundred thousand units that's what keeps the doors open you know, and t- the thing about it, when you have that big of a market share, if you were the second biggest company, that means that's a huge amount of books you have to distribute, you know, much more than Image is putting out right now. You know, you look at the amount of issues of Spider-Man that end up in stores compared to the amount of issues of, you know, sheltered or ghosted that end up in stores. That difference is insane, you know. Um, hey, instead had to be realistic. I'm just throwing out my two cents. I know, but you're throwing out like realistic kind of terms for this, you know, fantasy situation. So I was just, just you know, giving counterpoints. Steve, what do you think? Back off. <laughs> um, I don't know how to follow Stephanie off, uh, off of this, and uh, like, like, so, like, so many questions they get answered very expertly by the people that go before me. I would rather move on to another uh, question. Okay. If we could. All right. Well, Next, I, could, I could remember that. You could have answered just which one you think was going to close and which one you think would step up. That was the question. Image. Okay. All right. <laughs> I feel drained sometimes after oh, listening okay. to the responses in a way of that, like, I hear my words coming from other people and I'm like, ah, oh, good. All right. We'll I go. Relax. We'll, all right. Next question. Next question. Um, okay. So let's see here. Um, my thing's going all like wonky, so I'm kind of stuck in one spot. So this is the next one. <laughs> uh, it's from Anthony Palacio. Um, I'd like to know if there's any good comics about sports or sports themed. I've found some manga that are awesome, but are there any comics? This is a really good question. It's a really, really good question. And I think the answer is no. Mara. Actually, that's not true. Well, Mara, yes. But I yeah. mean, but Mara is a science fiction story. It's not, it's not really about sports. But, it's about but, volleyball. No, it's got uh, it's got sports in the first two issues. That's true. <laughs> and that's oh, it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's Superman versus Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yes. And Godzilla versus <laughs> Barkley. <laughs> yeah, can't even finish saying this. <laughs> I have I have the T-shirt at home somewhere from 25 years ago. <laughs> years ago, DC had a book called Strangest Sports Stories mm. that were various, you know. Uh, the alien basketball team would come down and play the Harlem Globetrotters or something. Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on. And they have reprinted some of those mm. in little annuals, but I, I don't recall except being one shots of you know the Jackie Robinson story mm-hmm. or some biography that yeah. there was ever a sports comic book. There's a hole right there. See, step up, write that book, make yourself some money. The A Rod story. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a true story. <laughs> Well, that's not a true story. Either. No, no. Um, I just I think that's a it's a world and stuff that isn't really explored in comic books, and it can be a, a rich world depending on how how you deal with it. You know, not necessarily the the depiction of the you know the um, the actual sport itself, but when you look at a show like 
Friday Night Lights, which kind of proved that you can do a, a show about a sport and still have it be a really excellent drama. I think you could do the same thing on the Compelling. On the What'd you say? Compelling. Compelling, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's today's quote. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next. All right. So we talk about comics a lot, but we also talk about movies and stuff a lot before the show. So uh, Bryce Logan wants to know, what are some of our favorite films and TV shows? Steve? My favorite uh, movie of all time is The Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. My other favorite films are Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is my second. Uh, Death to Smoochie is absolutely one of my favorite movies ever. Fight Club. And uh, a lot of lot of classic horror films like uh, The Shining is actually my favorite. The uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, all the staples of old school horror, um, and also John Carpenter's The Thing is one of my all time favorite films. There's mm-hmm. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so films and what was the other television TV. shows? Um, let's see. I'm obsessed with Archer right now. Hmm. I just made it to season four. Absolutely positively so love funny. it. Oh yeah. God, so. Oh, it's so fuck. I got even. I don't even have words for it. It's so good. <laughs> um, but uh, what do I? What I really enjoy? Let's see. Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch Game of Thrones all the time. Uh, la, 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 la. Supernatural when it was on. Well, it's still on. But when I was watching it, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, Doctor Who is one of my favorites. And I'll pick one more. Oh my god, I can't think. I hate this. It's like going into the music store and having a gift certificate, not knowing what the fuck to get. Uh, I'll pass it on to somebody. I'm, right. I'm not sure. All right. Bob? Well, I don't have my top 300 here with me, so <laughs> we'll just do this quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, top five movies, always the originals and their black and whites. King Kong from 1933. Uh, Orson Welles' The Citizen Kane. Casablanca. Duck Soup from the Marx Brothers. And Roman Holiday. Hmm. Nice. That'd be my top five. TV, Star Trek, mm-hmm. the original one. Uh, the British show, The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I just said that. Um, <laughs> honeymooners? Probably all in the family. Okay. All right. Stephanie, what about you? Um, for movies, uh, let's see. The Little Mermaid is, like, I think my classic all-time favorite. I mean, for reals. And then we've got like Almost Famous, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I love Children of Men, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And this one's like a stupid one, but it's a movie I can watch all the time. And it's Euro Trip. Like, wow. it's so, so dumb. Scotty doesn't know. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> I watched it again for like the zillionth time a couple weeks ago. Still funny. And then for TV, um, Pushing Daisies, uh, Misfits. Skins, the UK one, not the MTV one. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 Rock, Six Feet Under is the only TV show and movie for that matter to actually make me like cry my eyes out. Mm-hmm. Um, Being Human, Sherlock, Archer, and Better Off Ted. Better Off Ted, really? Yeah, I mean, it's canceled, mm. and but it was so funny and it was so underrated. Hilarious. <laughs> Six Feet Under was the other one that I was looking uh, for in that list. Gotcha. Uh, for me, movies-wise, uh, Almost Famous is my favorite movie. Uh, 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 Empire Strikes Back, uh, Fellowship uh, of the Ring, uh, Shaun of the Dead, and uh, Amadeus. 
It's probably like my top five. I love that movie. Um, and as far as TV, I mean, um, Steve mentioned, you know, right now, Game of Thrones. Um, I mentioned I was watching House of Cards, uh, which has been fantastic. The West Wing, uh, Friday Night Lights, um, Battlestar Galactica. Did I say Lost already? No. 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 Lost is one of my favorite shows of all time, if not my favorite show of all time. Buffy. Um, 30 Rock, uh, Parks and Rec, uh, The Office, all those shows I uh, just, I absolutely love. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I mean, there's a ton more, but obviously. Orange is, Orange is the New Black. Orange is Black was awesome, yeah. Yes. yeah. Absolutely, really, really great stuff. Um, so yeah, there you go. All right, so, was that everyone? Yeah, that was okay, everyone. Um, was there somebody next- else? <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I wanted to make sure, I was about to like go on to the next thing, but I was like, wait a second, did we get everyone? But we did. You didn't want to pull so- a Bobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so next one's from Christopher Russo. Um, and I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but it's con season, so no harm in bringing it up again. And he says, hi, I don't know uh, whether or not you guys buy commissioned art from comic artists, but I need advice on how to judge whether I'm getting a good price. Any thoughts? I Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, I, last year at Comic-Con, I spent quite a bit of money on <laughs> Bobby's laughing at me. You? Yeah. <laughs> what? I spent... <laughs> and yet hasn't bought an iPad. Carry on. I'm carrying on. And he I'm needs trying. a back brace from carrying all the art from last year. 60 pounds that bag was oh all God. weekend. Anyway, uh, as far as it being worth your money or, or whether you're getting a good price, I think that's kind of a... Uh, you have to... Be aware of what you're paying for. You have to be aware of the size that you're that you're asking for. If you're asking, especially for commissions, because a lot of the times the commissions are based on what you're asking the artist to do. And you have to remember that you're not just paying for the artwork itself. You're also paying for their time. Uh, obviously, if you're considering getting a commission from this artist, you like them enough to want to have a personal piece of artwork from them. So, I mean, how much... How could you really put a price on that if it means that much to you? Uh, I would just be very vigilant about what you ask for. If you have a special artist in mind, I would try to brainstorm and, and figure out exactly what you would want from them. Figure out which artist is good for which um, scene that you would like to see, whether it's a character, whether it's characters interacting with one another, whether it's something funny whether it's something simple or whether you bring them a like a variant blank cover comic and you want them to draw you a cover, um, you know, have your ducks in a row of of how much creativity you want them to put into it. You are asking them for their talent. That's what you're paying for. So as far as you getting paying too much for it, um, I don't I don't know if that's even possible. It's really just a matter of what you want and what you expect from them. And I mean, they have, they could charge whatever they want, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Um, You always have the choice to have like a little bit of a, of a conference with them and and gauge whether you not, whether or not you think it is. They have plenty of other people asking them to do commissions that if you decide that you feel that it's unfair, you don't have to commit to it. It's always good, um, especially before cons to reach out to them through email ahead of time to give them time. And you can also have a little bit more of consideration as to what you want them to do. If you find out that the price is too much, maybe you want to taper your idea back a little bit and come at them with something else and then find something that's more agreeable to the both of you, both in terms of their time and your wallet. Okay. 
to add on to that, first of all, most people will do it by person. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to follow that, it depends on the artist. Like, it just completely depends on the artist. If mm-hmm. it's, like, a relatively no-name artist and they're just kind of trying to be an artist alley and get their work out there, chances are their art isn't going to be as expensive. But it also depends on how much detail they put into their work. And, again, what right. Steve said and how much time they put into it. Because most people will go in and say, I want to get 10 commissions done for this weekend. Right. Or um, something to that effect. So if they're saying 10 or whatever they probably can work pretty quick to get five sketches done a day or so. And then, whatever. But if some artist is like, I would like $100 for a black and white head sketch of something, you're probably overpaying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Neil Adams. Right. <laughs> well, one other thing that but I want to... Like, oh, oh, go ahead. Should I, I go mean, or you No, go? let Stephanie oh, go. Let her finish her point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's completely dependent. Um, I don't even know what I was going to say anymore. But the other thing I want to add in too was um, don't assume that the artist you want a commission from knows the character you want them to draw. Always, always, always bring references. Don't bring one photo. Bring a series of pictures that take, you know, your character into consideration from different angles and stuff and capture the kind of look that you want your commission to embody. Mm-hmm. So that way you're getting exactly what you want they know exactly what you want, so everyone's happy. They're drawing what you want on your wall, and you're paying for that. Mm-hmm. Right. So references are so, so, so key. Mm. Yeah. And um, and also one more thing. Just try to remember that a lot of these artists, if not all of them, they all pay for the materials that go towards making your commission by on themselves. There's not like a, a office closet where they can just go and, and pick out their pens and their, their paints and their, their stuff like that. So a majority of the time, the money that you're giving them is going towards the artwork, but it's also going to re- restock and resupply themselves with art to do more of these things. So if anything, they're only taking away a portion of that to put in their pocket. The rest is going towards materials. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to add into this too is some artists will sketch for free. Um, I know of, Two pretty big artists. I mean, like, uh, Phil Jimenez and Barry Kitson do free sketches. And, like, not just, like, dinky little things in your book. Like, full sketches. And they do them for free. And all they ask is you wait in the lineup and you're not selling this on eBay. It's strictly for you. Mm-hmm. You know? Because if you – some people are do that dick move thing where they wait in line all day. They, or they put someone in line so that they can get these eBay sketches and kind of take up – the artist's time, and then they put them online, and then those people don't sketch for free anymore. Right. But yeah. there are artists out there, if you do your research, who will do amazing things for zero dollars, and those mm. are two of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just, I don't have a lot of experience buying this stuff, but like Steve was saying, this is not like you're going to mechanic and they're screwing you over on, you know, parts and, or, and they're lying to you about how much something costs. I mean, it costs what it costs. You know, this person is creating something out of thin air for you. So whatever they want to charge you for it, that's their business, you know. And, you know, like anything else, the market kind of decides, you know, how much they can charge for it. Mm -hmm. I don't think someone's going to charge, you know, like Stephanie said, like $100 for a, you know, a a head pencil sketch if they're not getting that. You know, if no one's going to buy it, they're not going to charge that much for it. So that's... Do we have sort of a range? We have people who bought a lot of art here between Stephanie and Steve. Is there, let's say you're a published comic book artist mm-hmm. for one of the big two. 
right. or even big four or five. You yeah. Know? Okay, for a marker mm-hmm. sketch, you know, a, a rather detailed mm-hmm. drawing of Batman or whatever. What right. is for someone who's actually working in comics? What are we looking at? Mm-hmm. Do we have a, a, a well? I I mean, I could go just from from my personal experience. I could even post the photo. I have a, a postcard sized drawing of Harley Quinn okay. and awesome. Poison Ivy. Very detailed, right. colorful. From um, Agnes Garboska. And this was only, this was a commission. This was $40 for okay. uh, for this. I mean, it's all, it's gorgeous. It's all watercolor inks. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely adorable. I The frame only cost me five bucks. Mm-hmm. Put it up on my wall and such. Um, completely, but, what's up? But Agnes Garboska is not necessarily a great example for this because them, she's a fantastic mm-hmm. artist and she does amazing work but she i mean she can get those done pretty quickly mm-hmm. like she's one of those artists that can take like 10 20 commissions yeah i mean we're, we're, i think bob is more talking about i mean let's just say i mean i don't want to like, pick the biggest person in the world but you know uh olivier Coipel. yeah yeah exactly i would say like i know ming doyle like for example does um i, I think anywhere from like 50 to 100 mm-hmm. for like a full body sketch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I forget exactly what the amount was, but it was pretty reasonable for what she did for my friend. Um, she did like a mod rogue and it was oh. like awesome. <laughs> and uh, it was really reasonable. And right. Ming Doyle, I feel like is um, not like a huge artist, but she is an up and coming artist. And like, detailed uh, as well. Very detailed yeah. art. Uh, and that, I think that's more what Stephanie was, was meaning by the Agnes Garboska stuff is that her stuff isn't like finely lined stuff. It's more uh, cartoonish is probably the best mm-hmm. word, I, word I can She's use She's a fantastic for artist. Right. Yeah. There's nothing about that, but it's just the mm-hmm. level, the amount of time it takes to create it is, yeah. is, a, is a shorter amount of time, you know? Um, yeah. So it all depends. I mean, you and like Stephanie was saying, huge artists like Phil Jimenez, like we'll do a sketch for you for free. So necessarily the, the level of the artist isn't even necessarily, you know, you just have to go there and see what happens. And just remember, like Steve was saying too, these people are just trying to make a living, a better living for themselves by selling their, their sketches. That's all they're trying to do. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you got to figure they they paid for the table at these cons, yeah, yeah. That which too, sure. you know is is like two thousand base level. Yeah, then all the materials, promotion, mm-hmm. um, having stuff on hand mm-hmm. to sell, and what it costs to print those out and supply those. A lot of these people will have free stuff at their table that you mm-hmm. could take uh, yeah. just for stopping by yeah. and things like that. So yeah, you know, just be be mindful of who you're asking and what you're asking for. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Uh, Stephanie, next question. All right. So Robert Gall wants to know, of the short list of names being tossed around for the next Batman, who would your choice be? And the choices are uh, Josh Brolin, Joe uh, Mengiliano from uh, True Blood, Mm -hmm. Richard Armitage from, um, what is he in? He's in The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, Matthew Good, Max Martini, Luke Evans, or would you pick someone else and why? Uh, Let's say, well, so that John Hamm was... was, uh, was no. noted on that list uh, very recently, okay. um, and Max Martini is the old, is the older Australian guy in Pacific Rim. He's the dad oh. who drives the the. Oh, yeah, yeah. Herc. He's Herc. Herc, yeah. His name is Max Martini, which is a crazy name. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a secret agent. Yeah, he made that up. Max Martini, um, <laughs> Agent Martini. Bob, what do you think? 
Uh, if John John Hamm's on that list, mm-hmm. I would go that way. I, Josh Brolin could work. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But would anyone put him in as even a, any kind of superhero movie after you know Jonah Hex? Yeah, that's not his fault though. No, but I mean the stink yeah. of it is on him, and yeah. that could be a problem for for a studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I on that list, I think I might go with Josh Brolin though. He's craggy enough. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're going a slightly older Batman yeah. for a crossover, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? Steve, what about you? I gotta go either Josh Brolin or, or John Hamm. But you said, I mean, unless they're going with an older, that's what that's what they are saying. Maybe right. they're saying maybe. This is all rumors. So is Carl Urban out? Because I thought that was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I think they haven't mentioned his name anywhere. So that's the only reason why. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, what do you think? Um, I'd go with Richard Armitage. Um, the rest don't really strike me as someone who could pull off Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like, Matthew Good's a bit too pretty boy to me, mm-hmm. but he would be, like, a close second to me, although maybe a bit too young for, like, older Batman. But I think I would really like um, Richard Armitage. Mm. I mean, to me, I, I you know, I, I think John Hamm is perfect if if that casting comes about. I mean, you, we've seen him for six years be the suave, smooth guy. Yep. And, you know, if you look at him in something like The Town, he's a pretty badass in that in that movie. Uh, and he's got the the right jaw absolutely for it. He looks like he looks like Bruce Wayne. Let's be let's be honest. Yeah. He looks like Bruce Wayne. Um, Standing there with a martini. And exactly. Else. Yeah. 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 Uh if they do an older Batman that would be perfect, I think. It'd be great to see him do that role. Um so yeah, there you go. All right. So next, next question is from Hugh Perry. So some terrible and some may argue deserved fate befalls Zack Snyder and David Goyer. <laughs> In a curious yet incredibly clever twist of fate, the Talking Comics crew are asked to take over the Batman-Superman movie. First job being to name the movie, then who would its stars be, and what would the synopsis be? So, go. Um, well, uh, let's, let's be clear. We don't want anything bad to happen to David Goyer or Zack Snyder. They might yes. have made a movie oh, yeah. we didn't like. But physical no, harm no. is nothing that, you know, obviously that's, uh, he was joking, but I, I don't, I don't want to even joke about that kind of thing. But, uh, so I would call it world's finest. Of course. Uh, mm. absolutely. Um, you know, I have no problem with Henry Cavill. I keep, you keep, I keep Henry Cavill and like we talked about, I mean, I would pick John Hamm. That's who I would pick to, to play Batman if we're going this way. And, you know, my story would, would be, it's like I'm on the fly, but my general story would be the story that you kind of expect, like they'd meet up, they'd have their disagreements, they'd get into some, you know, I don't know if fisticuffs are the right word, but because, uh, but you know, in a, in a battle of, of some sort, maybe of wits on Batman's part and fisticuffs on Superman's part. Uh, but they eventually come together when they realize that they're not so different and they have a bigger foe to fight. That That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, okay. that's my world's finest movie. I like right. the title, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly the classic. I, Cavill's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he gets to play really Superman mm-hmm. instead of what we did. So the mm-hmm. first thing I would do was say that Man of Steel was an Elseworlds and doesn't count. <laughs> and we're just going to start over. <laughs> That's where I'm going to begin with. I'd hire Joe Johnston to direct this puppy, mm-hmm. first of all. I want some heroism. I want some sunlight mm-hmm. and some good stuff. I would not have them fight fight. Mm-hmm. I think I would definitely go with a battle of wits where, mm-hmm. you know, Batman spying on Superman sort of right. thing because he can't trust someone with that much power. Right. Yeah. Tensions. Yeah. Tensions yeah. between yeah. them. But not, not necessarily actual conflict. conflict. Yeah, yeah. So that's for me. That's mm-hmm. where I would head. I, I, I actually, 
we talked about this off air. There was a fan film made about seven, eight years ago, Cold World's Finest by mm. Sandy Calora, where it's, it's, it's images from the comics. It's Superman. It's, they're looking like Alex Ross drawings mm-hmm. come to life. Right. And it's Luther and Two-Face and Kryptonite and Lois and the whole mess. Uh, we may try to find a way to put this up. Yeah, I mean, it's on if YouTube. Find it. It is, yeah, World's Finest okay. on YouTube. It'll, it'll be there. Uh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun fake trailer that's about three minutes long. That's mm-hmm. exactly the tone I want. So mm-hmm. if someone wants to see what I do want to do, that's it. <laughs> There you go. Stephanie, what about you? Okay, so I couldn't really think of anything, so I took Public Enemies. Um, I would like Richard Armitage as Batman, because, you know, whatever. And the reason I didn't choose John Hamm before is because, you know, if for some reason Henry Cavill couldn't play, Uh. you know, Superman, Mm -hmm. John Hamm, mofos! (laughs) He will be perfect! (laughs) Yes. I think Phil Noto actually does a, a drawing of John Hamm as Superman, and it is like, hella yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think he would be a better Superman than he would be Batman. But, I mean, if he wants to play Superman or Batman, I'm okay with that. Okay. Play both. Just, just yeah. to say. So my synopsis, after the events of Man of Steel, Bruce Wayne comes to um, the city to kind of evaluate the damage and to put forth some of his money mm-hmm. to help rebuild the city. Mm-hmm. Um. He catches wind, obviously, of what's happened, and um, he discovers Clark Kent silently struggling with the consequences of his actions while working as a reporter under his civilian identity. The two become unlikely friends, and when a villain, I don't know who, threatens the Earth, they team up to save the world together. Ta-da! All right. (laughs) I like it. Good. Good one. Steve. Uh, I love the idea of calling it World's Finest. I think that's a great title. Uh, I like the idea of it being more of a team-up movie than a verse movie. I don't verse implies that there's going to be more bashing and throwing through buildings and things like that. Um, well, you can't throw Batman through a building because no, you just die. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to move away from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had said this to someone when the when they first announced this that I would very much like to see. You know, I know Bob would love to to retcon Man of Steel, but I would. <laughs> I would like it if the movie builds off of Man of Steel and many of the things that we didn't care for in the movie that they get kind of addressed and they get addressed by way of Batman coming into that universe and kind of mentoring uh, the Man of Steel in a way of that he he teaches him that the events that happened Mm -hmm. in that film that they're, you know, that's not how you be a hero. Mm -hmm. And rather it be them up against one another. I know that they don't see eye to eye, but perhaps there's, you know, they have a difference of opinion at first. And he, you know, Superman, almost almost like like an Elseworlds attitude where he, he feels like Batman doesn't know the the burden that, that he has because he has all these powers. He couldn't mm-hmm. possibly understand what it's like to live in a world when you are so much stronger than everyone else. Like, what would mm-hmm. you know? And he sees rather through Batman's actions and the way that he tries to steer him in the right direction that eventually a threat comes about, possibly from both universes, Um, you know, a major villain from the Batverse and a major villain from Superman. They team up and they they come to terms with the idea that they're going to have to figure out a way to work together Mm. to get it done. That Batman is is the brains. He comes up with the, the idea and Superman's the execution, mm-hmm. and they they form a friendship by the end of the film, and they both get it done together. Mm-hmm. I think would be great. All right, cool. 
All right. Next. All right. So Lobster Johnson wants to know, what do you guys think about the new Beware the Batman show? There have been only four episodes, but so far he thinks they're pretty good. I have not seen it. I've got to disagree. Uh, I only saw the first episode. I did not like it. I did not like it at all. Uh, I really, I, I don't care for the extremely minimalist uh, approach to the animation. I think the animation is very lazy. I think that for, I mean, maybe it's the, a matter of budget and so on for, for the title, but it's just, it has absolutely none of the zing or personality that the older stuff um, with uh, Bruce Timms, you know, even the adventures of Batman and Robin, uh, the Superman show, it just, it doesn't, the villains aren't there, so you don't have the rogues gallery to to pick from. You got like Professor Pig. Okay, you've who, only watched one episode though. You can't say that. Can't say what the rogues the, the rogues gallery is not There's there a, because there, all right, you, in in all of the promotions that I've seen, the, he's Batman standing in front of a large screen, and there's there's several villains spread mm-hmm. across this advertisement. Not a single one of them is one of like the major Batman villains. So? Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, there, Mr. Freeze wasn't a major Batman villain before, really, before the animated series either. I'm just saying it doesn't carry with it the same. I I didn't like it. No, it's fine. It just doesn't have to. It's but just, but it's a what I'm show. saying though is, I understand your criticism of the first episode, but it's tough to criticize this show as a whole. That's why I'm not criticizing it as. A but whole. I'm saying you're saying the Rose Gallery isn't there, and you haven't watched three episodes, so I don't want you to say something that's wrong. You know, because you're speaking without knowing if the, those villains show up. That's all. I'm, that's all I'm saying. Right, but from from I, go ahead, Steph. I have watched the first episode. Okay. So I mean, I do agree with you. I don't like the animation at all, Steve. You are definitely right on that. It's sloppy. Yeah. It has that Green Lantern it animation has, show. Yeah, it it's the same thing. It's and the it, same it's animation. just gross. It's very. Ser- it's ugh. it's it looks like um, whoever was doing the animation like, oh, our deadline's coming up. Well, I haven't really rendered this. All right, well, here's our episode. All right, come on. But, but, stop. Listen, I'm getting to the good stuff. I have to throw out the crappy stuff first. Um, I did like the show. Um, I thought that it held together as a Batman series. And um, aside from Alfred, who is like Jason Statham. Yeah, really like, weird. Seriously, like... What? Yeah. This is a very like, weird Jason take on Yeah. No, seriously. I, other than that, I didn't really like mind the show at all. Mm. I it, thought it was a pretty good solid start to it. I would definitely check out the other episodes. I didn't mind the villains. I wanted to see what was happening with them. Um, they might not be here or villains that I know, but you know what? The Court of Owls, they hmm. weren't here villains that I knew either. And that's like one of my favorite Batman stories now. Hmm. The villains from uh, Grant Morrison, Batman and Robin run, by the way. Oh, they are. Yeah, they are. They're, they're much different. <laughs> I just, it's... I, I don't need I, I don't need the Joker. I don't mm. need Riddler. If you want to introduce new villains, I mean I'm up for something new. I just a lot of it was the art and my my problem with it is that it just felt so damn empty. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem that I have with a lot of these new shows coming out. I love the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle show on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of personality. It is super funny and mm-hmm. it has so much more of a grasp on the idea of brotherhood among the turtles and any other iteration they've mm-hmm. ever had, uh, even the old '90s television show. But all the streets are empty. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's at home watching TV, <laughs> doing something. All the sewers are clean. All the base. There's not a. There's not a, a bit of personality within the atmosphere of these new mm-hmm. shows anywhere. Everything is so streamlined and so polished and so clean that it just it doesn't feel lived in. It doesn't feel like Gotham. It mm-hmm. just it feels like he's in a simulation. Um, that's why I don't like the show. Yeah, okay. That makes so. sense. I mean, the the way the animation has looked to me has not turned me on to the show at all. I still want to see and watch it, but yeah. The um the voice casting is very good. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know the, remember the name who does Batman, but I do enjoy the Batman. The Alfred stuff is fucking weird. It is weird. <laughs> I seriously, I know it's not Jason Statham, but like henceforth, that will be the voiceover. He talks like him though, you know. <laughs> like he, he really, he really does, and it's. I mean, it's it's a different take. It's mm. it's neat, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't need Alfred to be helpless for for him to be like thirty years younger, and for him to be pulling you know crank moves. It's <laughs> it's really it ta- it ta- takes me out of the. I don't feel like it's Alfred anymore. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I, I haven't seen the show, so I'm speaking out of not seeing the show. The only thing about that to me is just. We've seen so many iterations. Especially in the, it, it, there has been nonstop cartoon Batman since the Bruce Timm show, whether it's mm-hmm. run by Bruce Timm or somebody else, whether it be Batman and Robin, Adventures, The Batman, whether it be the Batman Brave and the Bold. So to change up some of this up to just not see be just a, the, the same Alfred again, like there's been so much there now that I'm, I, I am theoretically okay <laughs> with the change. Not having seen it, I don't know if I'll be, you know functionally okay with the change it's really weird though <laughs> it reminds me kind of with the the the, the alfred in the earth one book the, yeah, yeah yeah the kind of younger more badass alfred but what's happening with those sausages charlie <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all right next question all right so um mario and i'm probably going to mess this up i'm sorry mario uh schneiderl Schneiderl, Schneebly. Whatever. Whatever. Sorry, Mario. Mario, I assume you know who that I'm talking about. You, so whatever. Everyone else can bite me. <laughs> okay. Was there an alternate universe or elseworld that totally blew your minds, and you would have wanted to see more of? I, for one, am a huge fan of Marvel's Age of Apocalypse um, and DC's Crime Syndicate with the Evil Bats, aka Owlman. Mm. I hope to see him in the new 52. So please tell us about your favorite alternative takes, alternate takes on our beloved icons and where we can find them. Uh, P.S. Brewed and boarded and comics and coffee had a great start. Keep it up. Thank you very much. Mario was, is overseas and he was, when we were doing brewed and boarded, it was 3 a.m. where he wow. was and he, and he listened to it live because after it was over. Oh, he was the one that was up at 3 a.m. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I mean, Hugh, uh, other, another listener, he was up until one, past 1 a.m. because he's in England. So he was that's tired. pretty crazy. He was tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Good for them. Bob. Sure. Um, certainly, really quickly, I'd love to see more New Frontier, mm, yeah. which was really great. You know, Darwin Cook. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning Hyperion before. I'd love to see some more of the old Squadron Supreme, but who knows? You know, mm. we are now that universe got blown up. Right. But uh, I did see this question earlier, so I brought with me. It's from 1998. Uh, it's Alan Davis wrote and drew something called Justice League: The Nail, and the premise is that Jonathan and Martha can't get a flat tire and don't go to meet the rocket. And everything goes a little haywire. Metropolis doesn't have a defender. They end up with 
Lex Luthor as mayor, who is railing about superheroes and metahumans and they're, they're all fascists and so on. There had been superheroes during the 30s and 40s at Justice Society, but they were regular people mm-hmm. who had talent. These are all these people we don't know. It's sort of the Superhero Registration Act at a certain level. He creates superpowered robots, ends up with a very damaged Oliver Queen who's gotten hurt fighting Amazo, the android who's busted up very badly on television, screaming to Perry White, who's apparently like the Bill O'Reilly of this universe, mm-hmm. uh, about an alien invasion. And it all goes very badly downhill for our heroes and everything else until things do get better, because it is Alan Davis. Uh, very emotional, lots of cool stuff. There actually was a follow-up a couple of years later called oh. Another Nail, <laughs> which amazingly picks up exactly what the other one did, even though it's about seven years later. I mm. would tell you that Alan Davis had the whole thing planned out ahead of time, mm. and then finally it came back around to him. Right. But Justice League, The Nail, available as a trade and as the old single issue. Nice, nice, nice. Steve, you have any? Uh, I'm going to have to go with the only Elseworlds story I've ever read, and that is Superman Red Sun. I think would be phenomenal, but... You've also read Kingdom Come. Oh, yeah. And Justice, (laughs) isn't it? What's that? Yeah, but have you read Justice? No. No, okay, so... No. Um, I don't remember... I mean, Kingdom Come, I remember being phenomenal. I just don't have as much of a... I just read Red Sun, so it's like fresh. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love to see Red Sun as an animated film. And mm. I believe that the team, whoever put together Flashpoint Paradox, uh, I think could do a, a really, really, really admirable job mm. of taking everything that was important and fun and kind of scary about that story and putting it into one two-hour presentation mm. that would have it really pay off three major acts and try to get you know, some of the more veteran uh, voice actors to come back and do this, just this very, very bizarre, uh, jarring story of this this vision of Superman being completely not mm. who you who you know him to be. Uh, and you've also got Wonder Woman, you've got Batman in there. And I mean, you could really, you could really do some damage with that story. Mm. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I, I hope that further down the road, they announced something to that effect. I think mm. it'd be great. Cool. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? Um, Red Sun is definitely one of my favorites. And then, again, we already mentioned it just now, but Kingdom Come and Justice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the ones we've already mentioned, obviously. I haven't read Justice, but Red Sun and Kingdom Come are great. Uh, it's not It's not technically an Elseworlds story, but All-Star Superman, which is uh out of continuity superman story that kind of takes place in not a separate universe but just in a non-continuity dc universe uh absolutely love if you guys have seen the movie uh the movie is okay but the the book is way better and it really gets to the heart of that character uh very very well um yeah, and I think that's about it. I haven't read a ton of Elseworlds stories because they don't really they don't do them anymore. So you don't get to see yeah. you know a lot of them. I mean, the Flashpoint paradox is a, well, just Flashpoint in the DC universe is an incontinuity story. So uh, you know, uh, while that is an alternate universe take, which I really like, it technically doesn't fit here, and neither does something like Dark Knight Returns, which is you know it's mm-hmm. it will never be in continuity because they'll never get there. They'll, they'll never actually be an old Batman in continuity, but. Uh, you know uh that's that story as well is one of my favorites so yeah um i've actually got a uh, email question here this is from mm. uh this is from bradley and he says 
As we know, the Marvel Universe is breaking due to the excessive amount of time travel, and this affinity event appears to be specifically addressing that issue. Presently, Reed and his family are off gallivanting through time, the original X-Men are hanging around the present, Logan and Sue did a number on the time-space continuum during Age of Ultron, which was effectively the straw that broke the camel's back. My question is, do you think the Marvel fa- the, that Marvel will finally scale back the time travel, or do you think that when after do you think that after the Infinity Event concludes, Marvel will continue using it as a regular plot device? P.S. I think the Fantastic Four should be the only ones allowed to travel through time going forward. <laughs> Bob, Certainly you, make go, things a lot easier. What do you think, Bob? Yeah. Well, considering they started it in FF five, when mm. the first time we see Doctor Doom uh, and Blackbeard the pirate and everything else. I think it'll, it's part, these are science fiction stories. Time travel mm. is just such a trope mm. as far back as H.G. Wells, obviously. It'll always be there. I think you'll have different editors and writers somewhere down the road. So even if it's scaled back, it'll return. It'll mm. just have to. And we, we don't even know yet what this event is going to be. Yeah. Uh, Marvel has said, uh, Axel Alonso has said, this, there will not be a reboot. They're not going mm. down that road. I mean, it could be lying right, yeah. or, or obfuscating or mm. one way or the other. But I really think they're going to leave this universe mostly alone. You'll see some doubles up as you see the, mm. the two X-Men. Right. You may see a couple of Sues and Wolverines running around until mm. they sort it out. But maybe Galactus will eat a few of them and it will take care of itself. <laughs> awesome that's really funny uh steve what do you think uh i don't know i don't know i don't know what they're gonna do i don't really know too much it's funny i've read everything leading up to infinity and i'm still not certain what the event is going to consist of it's Mm -hmm. quite large yeah you know there's a number of books and they're they're bringing in books i mean i think i'm reading them all i probably am (laughs) but if i'm not i will be yeah and is it going to fix everything? I doubt it. I mm. doubt it just because the, I mean, the time travel being as broken or or being as frequent as it has been, maybe they'll scale it back a little bit, but I don't think we're going to see it completely go away. I think it's too much of a playground for mm. them to, to leave it alone. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? Um, I don't honestly know. Uh, I it kind of got a bit garbled for me too, so I didn't hear the full question. But I'm gonna just pass for now. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you know, I don't. I think they might scale back for a little while. I don't really want them to get rid of it because I think time travel is cool. You know, and it and it and it gives you a lot of uh, fun things to do, whether it's in the silly end or the serious end. Uh, as far as what Infinity is gonna do and what they're gonna do with the doubles, I think you know. It, it's actually it was a Guardians of the Galaxy this past issue. It was really the first issue that I think in the ongoing universe that really dealt head on with the events of Age of Ultron and, and what happened. Because Peter uh, Quill is basically going like, "What the hell happened?" He's the one character who's you know he stuck out in space and he had this event that everyone else had, where he kind of saw all these universes and all of these different versions of himself kind of spread out in, in front of him and. It, it, we, in that issue, we realized it didn't. It didn't happen to everybody. It just happened to certain people, and he's one of those people. Um, you know, which also leads to the end of that issue, which is pretty heavy for a, a lot of the rest of the universe. Um, so, uh, I, I think we have an idea of what's going on, which is basically. I think it's cool because I think what we expect is here come the evil guys to take out the good guys, but there's a little more gray area. It's like, well, considering what the good guys have been doing for the last, you know, however many years, mm-hmm. maybe the other side isn't so wrong in trying to in trying to protect their own skin. So I don't think I don't know if the Infinity is going to close that loop, um, 
but I, I think that for at least a little while we'll get a slight scale back on time travel just because we'll be focusing on this event and their answer can't be to time travel it out of existence because they they already closed that loop with age of ultron you know unless they're gonna do it'd be a really bad narrative move to try to do the same fix they did just a few months ago in in their new event so we'll hope that that doesn't happen i didn't really think it was all broken before this event i mean we did have the council of reeds and you had some of these weird things going but they were always generally self-contained within the book you were reading yeah it, it had not turned into where, as with DC, felt they had to do a crisis on Infinite Earths, which and that wasn't broken either. Mm. But some writers and editors decided it was something they had to fix that didn't need to be fixed. Right, and I think I don't think it's I think it's less that they see the universe as broken uh, in the actuality of like the way that people write it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a conceit inside the universe that there's something going on that's broken inside of it. I don't think it's a larger statement on this. Uh, on the, okay. uh, that's what. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's that. Uh, that's why I'm not worried about it being some sort of infinite crisis of Infinite Earths type of thing. I think there'll be a more interesting uh, conclusion Good. to it than that. And I wouldn't mind a couple of doubles running around for a little while. I might get yeah. some cool stories out of it. We've already gotten one. Yeah, it's true. We'd have. Um, get another question here. Uh, First, they didn't sign uh, the email, but this is from J- Jat MCD. Uh, he says, "You guys have interviewed a ton of creative, interesting people on your show. My question is, what two people—one from the comic book industry and one person from anywhere—would you most like to sit down and interview? They can be alive or dead." Um, Joss Whedon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have Joss on the show. Yeah. My God, just he encompasses both parts too, both yeah. comic book and non comic book. Yeah, just to 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 pick his brain and. Not even necessarily about spoilers or what he has mm. planned, but just his his process, his mm. creative process. Like what what helped shape him into making kind of like these team stories that he has such a, a playful balance between his characters that there's still a lot of heart, there's a lot of action. Um, I would just like to know how he manages all of that Mm -hmm. you know what was the inspiration for that formula to be his go-to thing and for it to for it to transfer over to so many different properties it's it works Mm -hmm. um so that's one that i would love to have on the Mm -hmm. show uh for me i'd say neil gaiman Mm. uh and this is for me too and damon lindelof are my other two that i'd love to talk to most of all uh that letter's from jake oh it's jake okay all right uh, it's a live or dead movies as well, or could be just, anything. It's just one person anything. from comics, one person who's on comics, and one person from anywhere. Okay, well, it's a comics team. Does that count as one? That's fine. Yeah, Stanley and Jack Kirby mm-hmm. sitting here in the room together, and we'll, <laughs> we'll sort out who did what and just mm-hmm. the stories that could be told about that era. Um, I'd love to be able to talk to Orson Welles. Good to one. Hear what what all happened and. Uh, how you come to where he did from mm-hmm. being 25 and making what's the greatest movie ever made to most critics. So that would be for me. Cool. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I think we get to talk to a lot of people between the show and conventions, but one person that I've been really enjoying the stories from right now, um, as far as comics go is Jim Starenko and his Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. He's been like, it's like story time with Jim Starenko. <laughs> And I think you could just kind of bring him on a show and just let him tell stories for like an hour. And it would be amazing. It would be like the most amazing thing ever. And um, as for like non-comic people, I think Bob and I would totally rock 
an interview with Audrey Hepburn. Yes. <laughs> very, very nicely done. Uh, I wonder if anyone's ever said those words before. I would totally rock an interview with Audrey Hepburn. Well, they've been said now. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Steve, do you want to throw another person on the fire? Or are we good to totally out of left field. I would really love to talk to John Candy. Interesting. Yeah. I would ask him about. I would ask him a lot of things. I would ask him about his work on the heavy metal uh, mm-hmm. film, and uh, I don't know. I he's one of my favorite actors of of all time. He and uh, he's probably the only celebrity death uh, in recent. Well, not even recent years, but it was one. It was probably the most impactful one mm-hmm. uh, out of all of them for me. I I literally stopped breathing for a minute when I heard about that. Mm. I would love to be able to, to ask him questions mm. and pick his brain. I'm going to go to the third person on fire real quick. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Ooh. Ooh. I think that'd be an interesting, uh, see now my interesting own. talk. Uh, well, all right. Let's throw in HP Lovecraft. If we're going to go okay. all three, JK Rowling. <laughs> uh, that could, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, 70 next. Um, all right. So let's see here. Um, I don't know if we want to go well, Suze, anyways. So, Shane Saw McAdenstein. Is that your real name? Yeah. I don't know if it is, but that's it kind of a cool be. name. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Shane Saw? It's the Shane Saw. Oh, wow. I suspect it's probably not. I suspect <laughs> his name's probably just Shane. Anyways, not the question, not the point. Right. Um, is there, for you, is there a most overrated artist and why Oof. Oof. that's rough sorry that's a, yeah that's These a rough question I, we can we well, can skip it if we don't want to go negative yeah i'm just worried well, about going to negative i mean that's so yeah. subjective it's just uh i mean i can tell you like uh the only one that comes to mind is just and it's i feel like we harp on all the time is uh you know steve dylan from the like the guy who did thunderbolts and I know it is, that art is particularly bad, and but people have loved his art very much best in Preacher mm-hmm. and in the Garth and his Punisher stuff. But I just don't connect with his art. But that's not even he's overrated. It's just somebody I don't connect with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's well, tough, tough to I'm say. I'm going to say yeah. one, and this is, and I'll explain it before anyone gets like their panties in a twist. Um, so Scotty Young, and the only reason I'm saying this, Steve is, just Steve just said steam come out of his ear. No, I'm kidding. I don't care what he <laughs> All says. I did listen, was smile. Shut up. For a second and listen. All right. This is solely because of the silly variants that he gets that he puts out constantly for Marvel. I love his art. The variants are cool to an extent. But like I wish that they would just put him on something like and I don't think Tiny Titans exists anymore, but I wish they would just put him on something like Tiny Titans or Itty Bitty Hellboy or something that is aimed for a younger audience. Because his talents are just wasted on these variants. He can do so much more than just these cutesy covers. And I want to see him do those. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not overrated. It's just I want to see him on different things. Mm. Mm -hmm. He's also a great writer, by the way. He's not just an artist. He writes, Mm. too. Uh, And the few things that I have read uh, between the uh, X-Men or new X-Men magic arc that he did... And his A babies versus X babies, mm. both were great, mm. absolutely great. I would uh, no, Steph. Everything you just said makes total sense. Mm. There's no steam from these ears. Does he draw yeah. the Oz book? Yes. It- oh, okay. Yes, he does. All right. But yeah, he's just such a talented dude that I I just want to see more from him. Mm. This just seems to be the only things people were putting him on, and I get it. They sell. Mm. 
But at the same time, I wish they would just push him to do other things. He seems like he has a ball doing him, too. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Like, it's nothing against, like... He did that one for Revival, too. Yeah, and that Mm -hmm. one... But that wasn't really cutesy, because it's actually a kid. Yeah, it was pretty cutesy. It was pretty cutesy. It was as cutesy cutesy because it's a book you like. pretty similar. (laughs) But it's not like the ghost has big... I mean, its eyes are googly in the book, but, like, it's not like it has (laughs) those typical marvel cover revival apologist stephanie (laughs) cook you know what (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) uh anybody else want to chime in no i don't want to make any enemies i could i could very easily but i'm just gonna shut up (laughs) um next oh right so Scott W. McDougall wants to know, what are your favorite That's not his Eli- real name. That is his real name. He made that up. I'm not. <laughs> if he made it up, it's this is on him. <laughs> Don't look at me. Anyways, what are your favorite beeline characters? Moon Knight, Gladiator, and Rom were my favorites. Any chance there'll be a re- ever be a reboot of any of these? Uh, well, they just did Moon Knight like two years ago. I mean, and... Uh, Brian Michael Bendis wrote it, and if you know, regardless of you think of his talents, if Brian Michael Bendis can't sell a book, it's probably not going to do very yeah. well with anybody writing it. Um, not about its quality at all, just about the Venom itself. Um, that's all I know about Moon Knight. I have no idea what they're thinking with him. I'd like to see him show up in other books. I think he's a cool character. But, um, but who are you? Well, I think uh, the question directly: Rom and Gladiator as space characters. There's mm. a chance. Though, wasn't Rom licensed? Isn't it? Wasn't there a toy? So I, I think that could know. get into one of those yeah. sort of things. But Gladiator is part of the Imperial Guard. Why mm. not? Once right. you've got the Guardians going on, mm. I'm a huge fan of, of Power Man and Iron Fist. Luke yeah. Cage and Danny Rand. Mm-hmm. Love to see that back again. Yeah, yeah, that that'd be great. I would love to see that as well. Uh, Stephanie, do you have any ideas? Um. Not really. I mean, the only characters that are kind of beeline that I love, I talk about so often, like Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, she's more of like a C-level character, but Dazzler is getting a nice revival right now uh, in the X-Universe. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a, a Black Panther book. Yeah, I know he's, he's a very central figure in New Avengers, and that's probably, honestly, where he can be most successful because his own book probably is not going to sell very much, and he gets to be in a big selling book that he's the standout character in you know the same thing with submariner i think both those guys are just flourishing in that book so much that i want to see them have you know their own title Mm -hmm. but i don't know what that title could do that that book you know isn't doing um you know i I, there's all manner of x-men characters that i think fit this bill clearly but i think they just work better in teams like personally i love psylocke so much that i would love to see her have her own book but i don't know if that even works you know, she's such kind of a a fierce character. Sometimes it's tough to have someone who's that intense be your mm. your lead character, mm-hmm. male or female. You know, that's a lot of those times those books don't work for me uh, at all. She uh, had that one shot along with like way back when like Dazzler, Firestar, yeah, um, yeah, Valkyrie and stuff like that all had those one shots coming out and they were awesome. Yeah, th- those one shots were great. And I mean, I love her as a character. Like, um, as well as, uh, it really comes from that on Kenny X-Force, run by Remender, but Phantom X as well, who he's getting his own minis. They're doing a Max book with him. Uh, lo- love that character. And he's kind of that roguish guy. So almost like a team-up book between the two of them, I think, would be great because they had a great chemistry in uh, on Kenny X-Force. So that's, that's what I say. Steve, you have any? 
Is Doctor Strange considered a B level? Yeah, at definitely. this point, he definitely. Yeah, is. definitely. Yeah. Uh, I would. Well, I might get my wish with uh, <laughs> with the movie being planned, but yeah. I would love, 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 love if there was a monthly Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. Yeah. Uh, and then my other choice, which they're they're doing, and again, I have I have such a my brain becomes so muddled with putting characters into tiers. Mm-hmm. I get very confused mm-hmm. as to what level people yeah. are on, but I are mean, the there's in- no, there's no, there's no definite. Right. Well, that's yeah, what yeah, confuses yeah, me. Yeah, Cause yeah, I'm yeah. like, Oh, well they could. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really like personally, where do you place them? Yeah. I mean, there's the obvious, like, you know, obviously Spider-Man Wolverine, like these are characters that, you know, yeah. Now Iron Man, like these are characters now that are the a level characters. Um, how the inhumans, they be definitely. Level? Yeah. Yes, All right. Definitely. Well, they're, they are getting their own. Um, yeah. so that's, that would be my other choice. I'm so, I'm overjoyed at the idea of having a new, uh, inhumans book. Cause I am not, familiar with them outside of what I've read in uh, Jonathan Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four and FF. Mm-hmm. That's been my only exposure to them. I would I want something that focuses on them so I can get to know them better. Uh, there have been Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. I just He's such a presence on, mm-hmm. on the comic book page. Whenever he's around, there's something very mysterious about him. Uh, I want to learn more about him. I want to learn more about Medusa and just mm-hmm. all of all the Inhumans. It's very all very interesting to me. Yeah. Oh, and Ant Man as well. Yes. Which like, one? Uh, any of them, really. Okay. Uh, uh, but to written see, written by Mark Wade. Yeah, written by Mark Wade. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Because that Avengers AI book did not fl- did not do it for me uh, when it hit the stands. But yeah, definitely. Uh, either a team up book between Pym and. And Lang, I think, would be a fun... Are you talking yeah. about the first issue of AI? Avengers AI, yeah, number one. second one comes out today, we'll know, see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are... Yeah, there we go. Uh, let's do one more. Um, okay, let's see here. Choose wisely. Um, from Greg Cook. We are in a world where Spider-Man is actually confirmed to be in Avengers 2. What would your plots of the movie include? Let's include some X-Men to make the Marvel movie universe complete. Hmm. All right, I heard Bob talking about this off mic, so I'll let Bob go first. If we're going to go there, you're Mm going to throw some X-Men into this. Now we've got Fox involved. Mm. Let's go for broke. Mm. What threat is big enough for Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man? Let's add the Fantastic Four, and it's Mm. Galactus, Mm. and just a superhero two-and-a-half-hour free-for-all, and do that story up right. You know, New York under siege, and all its heroes come to the defense. Throw Daredevil in. Let's yeah, go yeah, for the it. the whole universe. They're all there. They're all there. <laughs> Doctor it. Strange shows up. You yeah, know, yeah. Go, go for the whole thing, because you finally have a threat even bigger than what faced the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that idea. I like. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only way I would think it would work, too, is I think that allows them to do a kind of... Uh, teams in different places yep you know you have the x-men over here you have fantastic four over here you have Avengers here and you get some of that really cool like you know like away team stuff and they're you know they're they're running missions to try to get everything done you know i have an even better idea not only do we do that you do four (laughs) different movies that that show you the same scene from the other side and then one big movie that connects them all (laughs) Sounds like I just spent a half a billion dollars on it uh, easily. But you're thinking you know, like a Marvel executive now, yeah. Pop. <laughs> is, is Avengers Tower in New York City? Yep. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So you could have the Baxter Building and uh, Avengers Tower as mm-hmm. kind of sure. the hubs bouncing between each, you know, setup. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you have like, you know, each one has its own think tank. Mm-hmm. And then all the all the other people are out getting it done kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Stephanie, you have anything to add? I don't think so. I think. Bob kind of... He nailed it. You did. 
Nailed it. I get yeah. lucky once in a while. <laughs> um, the, the thing I want to close with, and this is... A, this is uh, All of phase four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All in one movie, too. It's great. This is a, this is a question uh, from Rob, and he's, this is for Bob. Um, uh, and it's a little bit visual, so it's tough to, oh, okay. have to explain it as, as we go. Uh, and maybe I'll throw this picture in the post uh, so people can take a look at it. But uh, it says, Bob, thank you for doing your history of the Fantastic Four. I can only guess the preparation that went into doing that podcast, and we the listeners appreciate it. Thanks. Your history podcast motivated me to take the month of July and binge on early FF. I came across a page that blew my mind. In Fantastic Four number 48, I reached the last page and was floored. Not because of the story or the cliffhanger, but a full page of art like I had never seen. I've attached the image. Maybe you could link the image in the post. Uh, It's normally Kirby art throughout the issue. And then this last page is a pop art Warhol looking pink, blue, and yellow collage of images, photos in space. I've seen nothing like it before. Do you have any background on why they chose to do this? Has Marvel or anyone else done this before or since? Uh, that's Kirby. Mm-hmm. Jack uh, always pushed the envelope, whether it was doing Captain America in the 40s with Joe mm-hmm. Simon or what he did when he was doing monster books or romances. Mm-hmm. Uh, his art had taken a huge leap. Uh, a fellow named Joe Sinnott was doing the inks, who had actually inked FF5, but had come on board at number 44. And Jack's art, it's deeper. It's, it's just amazing, the, the, the move forward. And Jack decided, you know, I, the, the op art movement was really big. We, I can do something else, something really visual. So he would find these weird photos in places, uh, use uh, astronomical art paintings of planets and photos of planets and just clip them, put them in. And this was the old, you know, get out the X-Acto knife, mm-hmm. get the glue, glue it on the page, take a photo First time I saw that, I had the same instinct. It's like, what, who's going crazy? Who's drunk in the office? Who did this? And then he would do a lot of that over mm. the years. Uh, that's all the king of comics, Jack Kirby. Very cool. Awesome. A little little uh, uh, annotation on the Fantastic Four yeah. history podcast right there. And thank you for the kind words on uh, that, by the way. And thank you to everybody who wrote in uh, at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics and uh, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. Uh, it's always amazing. I put it out this morning and we got more responses than we could answer. And we've been doing this for an hour and 15 minutes answering wow. your questions. And we have more that we could answer. So thank you guys so much uh, for writing with those. Um, but what's on the shelves today? Uh, from Abstract Studios, we have Volume 3 of Rachel Rising. Uh, from Action Lab Entertainment, we have Princess... Princeless Tales of Girls Who Rock, One Shot, and Skyward Number Two. Um, from Arkea Entertainment, we have Rubicon Hardcover and Thrilling Adventure Hour Hardcover. Um, from Avatar Press, we have Alan Moore's Fashion Beast Trade Paperback, Crossed Badlands Number Thirty Four, and George R. R. Martin's Skin Trade Number Two. Uh, from Boom Studios, we have Garfield number 16, Higher Earth number 9, Planet of the Apes Cataclysm number 12, Robocop Last Stand number 1, and Suicide Risk number 4. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Abe Sapien number 5, we have Catalyst Comics number 2, uh, we have Orchid Volume 3, uh, Michael Avon Oming's The Victories number 4. Uh, from DC Comics, we have Action Comics number 23, Amy Kami Girls number 6, Batwing number 23, Detective Comics number 23, 
Dial H, number 15, which is the final issue. Um, Earth 2, number 15. Fairest, number 18. Green Arrow, number 23. Green Lantern, number 23. Uh, We've got Legends of the Dark Knight, number 11. Looney Tunes, number 214. Movement, number 4. Uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 36. Stormwatch, number 23. Swamp Thing, number 23. Trillium, number one of eight. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 11. Um, oh, God, I'm so excited for Trillium today. Have you been reading Swamp Thing? I have not. I, I read the first issue mm. uh, from Charles Soule and liked it very much. Very b- big change in tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of the ones that I've been st- stocking up to, to read the whole thing. Mm. Um, I was actually going to do that tonight when I got home. This past issue that just number twenty one or twenty two, sorry, yeah. uh, it's, it's a part, a two parter with John Constantine. Fucking great, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, from I have di- full confidence that it's going to be great. Yeah, from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Black Bat number four, Damsels number nine, Dark Shadows number nineteen, Lady Rawhide number one, Rawhide. Lords of Mars <laughs> number one, Owl number two. Pathfinder Goblins, number one. Shadow, number 16. Vampirella, number 31. Warlords of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 28. And Warlords of Mars, number 27. And thankfully, no Miss Fury. No Miss Fury. Oh, it's Uh, over? Not yet. (laughs) From IDW, we have Danger Girl Trinity, number one of four. Dungeons and Dragons Cutter, number four. We've got G.I. Joe, The Cobra Files, number four. Number five, sorry. (laughs) Godzilla Rulers of Earth, number two. What a great cover on that one. I haven't seen it. Is it really good? Oh, it's it's <laughs> the real Godzilla looks like beating the stuffing out of the giant iguana from the Matthew Broderick one. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, Transformers Mon- Monstrosity, number three, and okay. Transformers... Robots in Disguise? That is correct. Yes! Nice. <laughs> number 20. I had to remember what I said last week. I um, remember what to say this week. From Image Comics, we have Activity, number 14, Artifacts, number 30. Why is there a comic about yogurt? <laughs> It's not Activia. It's Activity, oh, sorry. number 14. <laughs> oh, uh, Artifacts, number 30. Blackacre, number 9. Burn the Orphanage, Born to Lose, number 1 of 3. Cyberforce, number 5. Fatal, number 16. Yes. Invincible Universe, number 5. Legend of Luther Strode, number 6 of 6. Woo-hoo. Manhattan Projects, number 13. Miniature Jesus, number 4 of 5. Prophet, number 38. Satellite Sam, number two. Ooh. Sheltered, number two. Yeah. Sidekick, number one. Ten Grand, number four. Um, money, money, money. From Marvel Comics, we've got All New X-Men, number 15. Yes. Avengers, number 17. Yeah. Avengers AI, number two. Cable and X-Force, number 12. Daredevil Dark Knights, number three. Uh, we have Deadpool Kills Deadpool, number two of four. <laughs> Emerald City of Oz, number two. Woot. Uh, we've got Hunger, number two, Iron Man, number 14, Kick-Ass, three, number two, uh, Superior Carnage, number two, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number two, Superior Spider-Man, number 15, X-Factor, number 260. Yes. Um, Stephanie, have you caught up on X-Factor? I have. We're getting close to the end. We'll talk next week. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, From Valley Entertainment, we have Harbinger Wars, number three of four. Quantum and Woody, number two. And Shadow Man, number nine. Uh, And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Zombies the Cursed, number two. Down Down the Rabbit Hole, number three. And Tyler Kirkham's Screwed, number three of six. 
All right. And Down so that. Rabbit hole. Was that what you said? Oh, that's what I said accidentally. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Uh, so that is what's on the shelves uh, right now. Um, again, guys, uh, at, Talking Com- at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. And TalkingComicBooks.com is the website. Go there, comment on our stories, uh, check out the videos. Uh, Whenever we live stream something, the link will be there. Uh, And if you guys can, uh, YouTube.com backslash TalkingComicsPodcast. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, And 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 there's going to be a contest coming up because, as I mentioned before, I had a chance to get some stuff autographed by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. And... uh, One of those things is Lock and Key Omega, issue number one. So I have a copy of that that we will be giving away. I also have an issue of Revival number one that will be giving away, signed by Mike Norton and Tim Seeley. So stay tuned. If you covet either of those things, we are going to have some contests for you guys coming up. And you guys, I know you guys want these things. So stay tuned. Absolutely. And also, guys, uh, our 100th episode uh coming up with just a little over a month now before before it happens wow. uh we've got it's we can fit about 20 to 25 people we already have 15 rsvps oh so uh guys if you want to come please email me at, and let me know bobby at talkingcombooks.com all right so that is it for this week's show um uh, my personal twitter is at bobby shortle steve's mine is at dead underscore anchorus stephanie I'm at Hello Cookie. And Bob, your email address. And Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. So, that is it. We are done. This marathon of the show is over. Thank you to the listeners for writing in with all of your questions. So, for Steve. You guys rock. Bob. Peace out. And Stephanie. (laughs) Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued.